My journey as a Superman fan started with a tattered red cape blowing in the wind. That ending rocketed me forward like a red-blue blur. Through a decade-long origin story and poignant tales of self-discovery and fatherhood, and backwards to the character's very beginnings. Now, on this podcast, we journey together across time and media to examine the stories that have defined the Man of Steel for over 80 years. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. This is the Donnerverse Part 3. Joining me to discuss the Donner Cut of Superman 2 is the host of the Always Hold On to Smallville podcast, Zach Moore. Welcome back. Haven't you ever heard of freedom of the press, Anthony? Listen, you want to step outside? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would much rather step outside, but we'll get into it. So ha- ha- happy to be back on the show. <laughs> so we are here, of course, to talk about the Donner cut of Superman 2. It will inevitably lead us to a discussion, I'm sure, of the theatrical cut and the ways in which they differ. Though, just as a reminder for the audience... Last year, in 2021, V. Ken Marion and I, we did do a whole episode, a two-hour extravaganza, where we did unpack the differences between the theatrical and Donner cuts of the film. So that won't be the main thrust of this episode, but if you are looking for more of that discussion, that episode is out there. But, of course, like I said, I'm sure we will touch on the theatrical cut in this episode as well. And additionally, I'm very happy to have you for this one in particular, because I think Superman 2 and the Donner cut of Superman 2, it lends itself very well to a discussion of the ways in which the Donnerverse influenced Smallville, which of course is very dear to both you and I. Oh yeah, there's a lot of Smallville you can see uh, in in this in this movie. Like season five of Smallville is like Superman 2, the the season in a way, uh, and a lot more than that. And and I will say I I did uh, listen to y'all's discussion on the Donner cut versus the Lester cut. Um, and, uh, I'm glad I'm here to talk to you about it. Cause I have, <laughs> you guys were saying so many things and I was like, it's so interesting because I agree with you guys about so much, but uh, outside of this, but I, you're saying things and I a hundred percent disagree <laughs> with what you're saying about certain things here. And it's, you're so matter of fact, like, oh yeah, it's just so much better. I'm like, mm, I don't know, but we're going to have fun. It's going to be a fun conversation. So <laughs> It's oh man, it's so funny you bring that up. I was I was gonna I was gonna say something similar because that episode in particular, one of my <clears throat> longest standing audience members, shout out to Tom, Tom O'Sullivan. He's been listening to my comic shop history podcast and this one, and we, we go back a long way. He was a customer at the comic shop where I worked. And I remember he wrote to me after that episode, and he was so nice about it, but he was like I had to stop listening halfway through. He was very diplomatic about it, though. He was just like, I just, my opinions didn't line up with yours, and I I just (laughs) had to stop. (laughs) I mean, I think we were, I don't think, it certainly wasn't mean-spirited towards the movie, but we we beat up on it. We beat up on it a bit. And Mm -hmm. I I guess we did, I mean, it's been a while now since we recorded, but I guess we did land, or I landed on the side of of preferring the Donner cut. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm I'm saying it as if I'm asking you. I don't. It's been that long, and I'm like, I like the <laughs> no, Donner you're, cut you're, better. You're both very pro Donner cut. Okay, uh, it was like, oh, clearly this is so much better in this version and this or that. I'm like, wow, okay, interesting. Uh, but we'll discuss. We'll discuss. That's what this is all about. And we're not gonna again. You're not gonna rehash what you guys said there or have a straight comparison because you guys have done that. But inevitably, when we talk about the Donner cut, you got to talk about the Lester cut and the chain, much like Justice League, right? This is where we are with these movies. You cannot talk about one version 
without the other. But this is the Donnerverse special, so we're going to predominantly focus on the Donner of it all. Uh, and of course, being the huge Smallville fans we are, we'll talk some Smallville along the way. So yes, but no, I am excited to get to get your opinion, and I am curious to hear about the ways in which you disagree. It's it's always fascinating to get those different perspectives. So it's it's all good. And I will say, you know, it hasn't been that long since I watched the Lester and Donner cuts for that episode last year. But I would say that my perspective has changed a fair bit on Superman 2, specifically the Donner cut. And I view it far more favorably now. So my perspective has shifted a good bit from that episode I did with Ken last year. So for anyone who might have felt like, oh, can he not love Superman 2 the way I do? I still might not love it the way others out there do, but I have a much more profound appreciation for it than I did before, which is always a positive thing. Any Anytime I can come away enjoying any of this stuff more than I did before, always a positive. Are you, are you saying that our opinions are allowed to change about our fandoms, Anthony? Are you saying that our points of view could evolve over time and we could have different... <laughs> different opinions <laughs> it is possible it, it is possible it can happen <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing when it does especially when it goes in this direction now i'm assuming most superman fans are likely aware of the backstory of all of this but a real quick recap in the late 70s donner was filming superman 1 and superman 2 simultaneously but due to time and budget the decision was made to uh, focus on finishing Superman 1 and then return to Superman 2 after Superman 1 had premiered. But in the interim, the producers, the Salkins, with whom Donner had an increasingly tension-filled dynamic, decided to replace him with Richard Lester. So Richard Lester came on and filmed the rest of the movie and also reshot a lot of what Donner had already filmed. The overall beats and structure of the movie largely remained intact, but a lot of things played out differently. And Lester certainly injected a more humorous, campier tone that diverged from the feel of the movie that that Donner was going for. And perhaps most notably, due to legal issues with Marlon Brando, all of the Jor-El footage was replaced and reshot. And instead, we had Clark interacting with Lara in the fortress in the theatrical cut of the movie. So flash forward to the 2000s and the period of time around uh, when Superman Returns was coming out, they worked out what they needed to, and Warner Brothers released the Donner cut of Superman 2 as originally conceived and intended, envisioned. And so that came out on DVD in 2006, and it was edited by Michael Thau in collaboration with Richard Donner, and they restored as much as they could. They had to use some Richard Lester footage, they had to use some screen test footage, they had to film for the Donner cut a few you know insert shots and things like that so it's it's a little bit of a mix and a little rough around the edges but you get the sense of what was intended and I think most importantly for me at least you do get the restoration of those Kal-El Jor-El fortress scenes which for me make the whole thing so that's our our backdrop for this did I miss anything no that covers it uh the the interesting thing to me was, and, and I know that you were mentioned in your uh, Superman in the movie episode that you'd rewatch the special features. Did you do the same for Superman two here, the Richard Donner cut? I did not, but I had rewatched. I had watched the uh, the restoring the vision featurette that's mm -hmm. on the Donner cut uh, DVD and Blu-ray. I had watched that not long ago. I did not rewatch it for this, but I have seen it fairly recently. That's right. I didn't. I didn't rewatch it either. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. There. <laughs> but, uh, quite all right. But my, 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 what was interesting to me though. Right. About uh, I remember this from watching. It was years ago that I've seen it, but it, it stuck with me that the, the, the special features. Right. That originally they had started this kind of without Donner. 
Yes. Like the and then and then they brought him in later. And uh this will be a theme for my conversation here probably, but I feel like and it's counterintuitive because it's called the Donner cut. But I feel like Donner's involvement was it to the detriment of the final product. Uh because of his but I understand because of his personal experience, it was I mean, he basically got fired, right, right from this uh, extremely successful first film that every, every, if you everybody loved him, he loved everybody. He was so invested in it, right? Uh, clashed with his higher ups, right? You know, people, have, we, we can all relate to these sorts of things, right? Had had a bad personal negative experience, right? And then when he came back to revisit, he's like, I don't want to use any of this or any of that, and da 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 da, right? And so to the film's detriment, I and it, to the Richard Donner cut's detriment as a film, um, they leave out a lot of stuff that they could have used from Lester or even alternate takes or even things Lester did better. They were like, well, I did this first. So we're going to use mine. Um, and I feel like, and I love Superman too, just for the record. I love Superman too. And I've, I've gone on a personal journey myself with Superman too. When I was a kid, it was my favorite. And then you're older, like, Oh, well, Superman, the movie is clearly the superior picture. Right. And then you kind of, you learn about all the behind the scenes drama. You're like, ah, oh, what a mess. Right. And then you Donner cut comes out you're like, Oh wow. That's incredible new stuff. Right. Um, there was such a hype for the Donner cut too, because I mean, like San Diego Comic Con, I think the previous uh, year before it came out, or maybe the year it came out, that they had shown the opening sequence of the Daily Planet with Lois and Clark and scenes we had never seen before with Margot Kidder as Lois Lane and Christopher Reeve as Clark Kent. I mean, it's 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 phenomenal. It's like the Star Wars special edition. We're like, you're telling me there's footage of Harrison Ford as Han Solo talking to Jabba the Hutt. It's, it blows your mind as a fan, right? They've never seen. Um, so the hype was so strong. And then like you see, you're like, oh, look, Marlon Brando's here. This is fantastic. Because all these mythical Marlon Brando scenes you heard about. Um, and then over time, you kind of say like, well, you know, I don't know. Like that's kind of like spliced together and this or that. They like, could have done this differently. This didn't quite hit as well. That was kind of weird. And, and, and you know, and so you, I, then I went through that journey. I'm like, I don't know which one's better. But now it's like, you know what? I've learned to stop worrying and love Superman too. That's where I am. I'm, I'm, we have different versions. I enjoy them both. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk, that's what we're here to talk about. But, but I, um, and we really have Superman returns to thank for this yes. really, because Brian Singer wanted to use Marlon Brando footage, um, as Jor-El in Superman returns, which is, which is a really cool idea to use a, a deceased actor as a deceased character. Like it's, that's meta on all kinds of levels. Right. So through those negotiations, right. To use that footage that kind of opened the door to like, well, we have all this footage, so you can use that. And and as I understand it, that kind of opened the door for this this Richard Donner cut, um, plus tying into Superman Returns, which was a you know a vague sequel. Which I'm looking forward to your episode on Superman Returns coming up um, next to discuss that. But that kind of like, well, we can market this is connected to that, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all this, it's all tied together in the Donnerverse here, and and, and that's kind of where we are. And you know, were you ever familiar with the website uh, Superman Cinema back in the day? I can't say that I am. Yeah, that is how I kind of learned about all this stuff. It was it was called Superman Cinema, and I was actually on the, the message boards there, and it was kind of my, like, Superman fandom, like, awakening to all these things, right? And it was in high school. I was on these, and I actually made some friends there that, that I still talk to this day online and uh, and in person. And they had so all these threads, all these things about it, and, and that's how I that's how I learned about about the Richard the Richard Donner cut. And I, and I think that, that they're that have kind of they were kind of absorbed by Cape Wonder, who Jim Bowers runs that, and it's all this you know the Richard Donner, Christopher Reeve Phantom Superman is, is very strong, and that's and that's how I learned about this stuff. And uh, and man, it just it, it it's it was crazy to think you know, and this is like 
not the infancy of the internet, but it was before social media per se. And, you know, again, I'm talking about message boards and stuff. Right. But it felt like just such this, like, like, I'm like, how could I, I've watched this movie my whole life. <laughs> how could there be an alternate version out there that I never heard of? And it was just such a crazy revelation to me. So I, I guess that was kind of my lead up of knowledge and, and anticipation for this coming out. So. Yeah, no, it's funny because as you're saying all of that, I'm trying to think back to how much I even was aware of this and how large, if at all, it, it loomed in my own Superman fandom, the idea of this other cut. I mean, to be honest, I really don't recall all that specifically. So I guess it wasn't that big of a thing. Like, I definitely remember when it was announced and I remember when it came out. And I ran out to Best Buy and I bought the Donner Cut D DVD as soon as it came out and all that. But uh, you know, this wasn't something that I guess I was thinking about so much in anticipation of it. Not like I would later do with a different director's cut of a movie. <laughs> with another another Superman sequel where, <laughs> where the director was replaced. <laughs> yeah, quite the quite the commonality there. But you know, your point is definitely well taken about some of the ways at least in, in which the the Donner cut suffers by trying to stick as closely as possible to the original vision. I mean, you mentioned, look, right in the introduction, you mentioned the the line, the famous line when Superman shows up at the Daily Planet to call out General Zod. And in the theatrical cut, we get the line, would you care to step outside? And it's a perfect callback to the fight at the diner that the powerless right. Clark has just gone through. It ties into Donner footage. <laughs> That's the thing. And so that's replaced with, haven't you ever heard of freedom of the press? And it absolutely does not land the same way. And that's one of those things where, look, going back to, to Zack Snyder's Justice League, he has said in interviews, he was like, I would rather burn the movie than use one frame I didn't shoot myself. And it's like, mm -hmm. all right, man, like, you know, I, I, I understand that. And I don't know if, if Donner had a similar mentality. Obviously, he had to use some Lester footage. There was stuff, yeah. the Battle of, of Metropolis that he just didn't get to, to film. But, you know, that's one of those instances where, and we can't speak for him, but it's like, do you think he genuinely, objectively felt like freedom of the press was a better line? I, maybe he did, but it's, I'm hard-pressed mm. to see that. <laughs> I, no, I don't think so. And also, and, and this is a... a and, you know, we love Superman too, right? But we're we're just we're getting into the weeds here, right? Um, the there's there's some voiceover work in here, which is clearly voice doubles, and I'm pretty sure whoever says General is not Christopher Reeve. Like it just sounds because I rewatching it, I was like that. It sounds like when he says Freedom of the Press, it sounds like him, but like the the voiceover guy doesn't. Just like the guy who says Lois, what have you done, and all these strange. I'm like, you could have used. Clearly, this movie, this version of Superman 2 has no problem taking elements, vi visuals, music, right, footage from Superman the movie. Why not just take something with like Clark saying, well, us or or just use the general from not we're getting so granular here. But like this, it's just like use the, the general from Superman, the theatrical one there instead of some weird voiceover guy. Um, so it's just the whole thing throws the music doesn't build up the same anyway. That kind of stuff is what we're talking about. But no, no, I, I think it's absolutely what it is. I think it's Richard Donner saying, you know what? I'm going to take back my movie that got taken from me. And you know what? Like, to your point, it's your thing, man. Like, your name's on it. So I, I can't sit here and say, 
you know, you know, it's how armchair quarterback of me to be like, you know, Richard Donner, um, director of Lethal Weapon and Superman the movie and the woman. Let me tell you what you should have done. Um, but it's clearly still a very personal was a very personal thing to him. Like this is still this is gosh, what, 25 years after it had come out. And, and you know, this this he, he was you could still tell he doesn't like the Salcons, you know, Um and I guess calling back to, I guess, what I even first started with talking about the special features, Michael Thal, the editor, he this this is what stuck out. To me. He's like, he explains, he's like, yeah, so I had this initial cut of the movie, right? And it had, uh, you know, the memory kiss, and then he, he returns the flag to the White House, and he beats up the guy at the diner. It's a great ending. And that was that was my initial cut. And then I brought in Richard Donner and Tom Mikewitz. So they go, no, 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 we can't do that. Uh, and I was like, oh, well, that what? And and what and was, this has always got to me. Tom Mankiewicz, a fantastic writer, um, creative consultant on uh, bo- bo- both Donner films, Superman uh, films, and it, it, they had asked him to come back, and he had, you know, turned them down because his loyalty and his friendship with Richard Donner, totally understandable, right? Um, and he is kind of what brought a lot of like groundedness and, and stuff to Superman the movie. Um, but he always says something that I will that I always stuck with me. He's like, well. Clark Kent can't kiss Lois Lane. This scene won't work. And I was like, what? <laughs> what, are you, what are you guys talking about? Um, no, that, that's not how this works. So I, I just, they had certain things that they were like, no, we have to do this, we have to do that, which led to certain other things, which made this less than the sum of what could, it could have been. Um, that, that's ultimately where, where, where I fall on it. And then, uh, yeah, then there's a lot of deleted scenes that Donner shot that aren't in the Donner cut. And I don't understand like that, that to me, I don't like all the other stuff, even though I creatively disagree, I understand like the emotion behind it, but I'm like, Donner, you had like the villains go into the fortress, more of Lex and Miss Tessmacher. Like you had other things that you shot, which are in TV versions of this, by the way, that's the ultimate cut by the way out there somewhere. I'm waiting for that three hour TV cut to, to come out. Like the Superman, the movie one did hopefully someone will find that on the shelf. But that to me, that's very, that's an odd choice to not use your own footage. <laughs> In your in your own cut of the movie, right? I know. I rewatched those deleted scenes last night as well as I was rewatching the movie. And I had the same thought. I was like, wow, it's it's odd to have omitted these. To be perfectly honest, Lex and Miss Tessmacher coming and going from the fortress. It's like, yeah, all right, I, I can take or leave that. But Lex and the and the villains being carted off by the Arctic police, that felt like a key moment that would have been very natural to include here. And like you said, the villains showing up at the fortress and um, you know, and, and some of those other pieces. Yeah, it was that was somewhat curious. I mean, I guess in the end, and you know, you, you hit on this that the mandate for this Donner cut wasn't to create the ultimate cut, as it were, of Superman two using the best of both versions. It was really to recreate to the extent possible what the original intention was. The I can I can get on board with most of that where the one thing that I just still cannot get over no matter how much my opinion of this movie has changed or improved the one thing I just I I I can never get past is the reversal of time at the end 100% with you there and it's one of those things where again man I so I so appreciate that they're like look we're showing you when we initially set out to make this movie at the very beginning this is what we were going to do but my feeling is okay you clearly knew you needed a new ending, right? Because you use this ending for Superman 1, where Lois dies, he reverses time. You knew you couldn't... You, so my feeling is like, I would have preferred if they if they tried to recreate what they would have done had they gone back to work on the movie 
after Superman the movie came out? What ending would you have used then? And and I guess they hadn't figured that out, but maybe that would have been something to figure out. Or or just end the movie after Superman leaves Lois on her balcony. It's a bittersweet, right. melancholy end, but it it's it's lovely in its own way and it works and it doesn't create the the pro- I mean the reversal of time completely undermines and renders moot everything that we've seen before. It's that's so frustrating. <laughs> I oh, I have so many thoughts. So I, <laughs> I I'm a great defender of the reversal of time in Superman the movie. I feel like it's like, you know, the the power of love, right? I mean, like the idea of pushing himself. It's it's you know, him here for a reason, don't interfere with human history. Him hearing his two fathers in the sky, he makes his decision. He's like, I'm not gonna let this happen again, right? Um, it's a powerful moment carried by Christa Reeves' emotional performance, right? His his despair, his rage, like that primal scream is incredible, right? Such an amazing shot of, of him as well. Um, and it's just you know what? He goes back in time like five minutes, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, and it's a one-off thing, and it's not gonna happen again, and you understand, and it's not, and I and I I'm always I've talked about this with friends at the lunch table in high school for years. It's like, he's not literally reversing earth. It's a visual representation of him traveling. It's a 1978 special effect, visual representation of a superhero going back in time. Okay. It's not reversing the rotation of the earth. It's a fun joke. We all laugh about it, but that's, you know, that it's, it's a, he's going back in time. He's going forward in time. Um, and that works in a one-off, right? And I know a lot of people have a huge problem with that, right? In the movie, and I'm like, you know, you know what? Fair enough to you, but this is this is the this is the uh, pre-crisis Superman who is just incredibly powerful, right? But you, you can absolutely never do that again, and I can't believe they did it. I cannot believe they did. They, they made a sequel to a movie that was never made with this. Like, you know, this 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 Richard Donner cut is a sequel to like, well, if we didn't do the because the the initial idea for Superman, the movie was it's going to end on this cliffhanger where he throws the missile into space and free with Zod was the cliffhanger. But then when they decided to kind of like, well, we don't know what we're going to do because we're over budget, like they made Superman the movie self-contained. And this this had to be a sequel to that, not what you would have done in 1977. You needed what you would have done in 1980. Um, and to your point, it doesn't lead anywhere. Right. There's not going to there's not a Richard Donner Superman three. So just make this its own little offshoot universe and Lois can know and they can leave it there. Melancholy. And I, I thought to myself, like, OK, the time reversal. Why did you why did you do this? And I thought, well, maybe they maybe they just want to use every last piece of footage. Right. They want to use the toothpaste going back in the tube. Right. There was, oh, what a fun gag. Right. Or even the last scene with Lois and Clark at the planet. That's a great scene. I think you could have still find a way to edit around it, to use it to to still work. But I'm like, you know what? It's okay. They wanted to use every last shot, the Donner shot. I get it. And then, to my earlier point a couple of minutes ago, you have multiple scenes that you shot you didn't put in the movie. So it just, anyway, it's frustrating. It's just very frustrating experience because it, to me, honestly, that's what breaks it. The time reversal breaks the movie for me, which cements the theatrical being the better version, in my opinion. Uh, you know, <clears throat> here's the thing. I, I There's so much that I love about the Donner cut. And I feel that in terms of a number of plot points, but more specifically some major thematic beats, it really closes a loop with Superman, the movie and ties in very nicely. So there's a lot that I love about it, but no, I I mean, I, I can't sit here and make a case that if you could only watch one version of the movie, that it would be this, there are parts of this really the, the Jor-El scenes make this whole thing. But yeah, objectively, which movie works better from start to finish? It is the theatrical cut. I, I, you know, I can't sit here and argue otherwise. 
the thing about the reversal of time it's your point in in superman the movie again you get why he's doing this lois is dead and it's a short period of time that he's going back here lois is sad and there's been some property damage not great but it doesn't warrant reversing time by days weeks i mean yeah who knows (laughs) and the villains get put back in the phantom zone what and as you, I know you heard the first part of this Donnerverse event where my perspective on this depiction of the character has shifted for the better. I don't still have the same some of the same problems that I had before where I've in the past been looking at the Christopher Reeve Superman through the lens of the modern incarnation of the character that I grew up with where Clark is who he is and Superman is what he can do as the line goes. And I can appreciate in these movies that Superman is really who he is. Clark is this disguise and he's not this man grappling with the powers of a god. He's a god living among men. And he's reminded of that by Jor-El at numerous points throughout this. You are not one of them. You may live among them, but you are not one of them. And so that put a lot of this into focus for me. It made me understand why the character was was presented in this way. And it works. And I really think in this context, in these movies, it really works. But with the reversal of time at the end of this, I'm going to be a little, a slightly tongue-in-cheek, but it's like he is like this god for whom time is his plaything. It just becomes this weird thing, especially when you look at the movies together. And it's just like, it just feels like a do-over. And it's no big deal. The Superman, he does two things. He reverses time and he throws stuff into space. <laughs> that is what the Christopher Reeve Superman does. And even the Brandon Routh Superman, he's throwing stuff into space. That's how we solve all of our problems. So yeah, it just, it just really, it just cheapens the stakes when you know like, well, I guess he can do this anytime he wants. And to not, and to not have the, and of course they don't have the footage. I, I get it. But like, to not have like the the decision being made. You just see toothpaste going backwards and then cut to stock footage of Superman flying around the earth. They even had to reverse some, right? They had to flip some shots. Uh, so he's like, he's got the Bizarro S on, right? Because they like, well, he was happy when he was fixing it the first time going the other way, but we didn't show him happy reversing it this time. I'm like, come on guys. Um, it's, it's just, it's, it is a, is a epic fail of a decision making, in my opinion. And the stock footage from like 2006 or something, people on the street, yes, sticks out so poorly. So it, you know what that reminded me? That whole sequence reminded me of like a like a History Channel documentary about something, right? Or it's you know what I mean, like Life After People, and it shows like this the, just the way it was presented, and it's because they took obviously they took some stock footage and did some rudimentary CGI. I don't know what the budget was on this, to be honest. Um, clearly, it wasn't very high. Um, because there's some, some questionable CGI in there, but it just, the, the entire presentation of it just, just falls on its face and had, had been able to see, cause I believe in the original intention was, I, well, Lois was going to get killed by the phantom zone criminals. Um, but also the world was going to just be so messed up. Like he, you know, he sees like all this destruction and I mean, yeah, the statue of Liberty got messed up and you can fix that, you know? And, um, I don't know. So, 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 so that's where we are. But, you know, we, we've been kind of, we're kind of heavy on the leg. This is why I don't like, you know, we can, let's pull back and let's talk some positives here, Anthony, <laughs> about the Donner cut. Yeah. And I, I will say that's really the main, the main problem that I have with it. So I think a lot of the rest of this will be, will be more positive, but I'm glad, I'm glad we spoke about it up top because I think that will, we've set the table for not liking the ending. And so when we talk about Clark going back to the diner, for example, we, all understand, right, in the context of the Donner cut, that makes no sense because those events never happen. So he goes to teach this guy a lesson who 
has never met him for all intents and purposes. So we've we've established that now. So uh, you know we can we don't have to keep beating up on that aspect. I guess I, I will bring that diner scene up again later. But yes, <laughs> let me ask you. <laughs> let me let me jump to a Smallville question before we yeah. get even deeper into Superman two. Like I said, it's a perfect episode to talk about the ways in which the Donnerverse influenced our favorite show. And most notably, perhaps, is the casting of Zod actor Terrence Stamp as the voice of Jor-El, who we hear on Smallville from seasons two through ten. Now, the characterization of Jor-El on Smallville was a harsher, uh, more, uh, more critical, more domineering version of the character than we've gotten in virtually any other incarnation and that characterization coupled with the casting of Terrence Stamp, I remember the speculation, and I'm sure you do, a lot of speculation among fans at the time that it wasn't actually Jor-El, that it was Zod, some sort of trick. Do you remember this? Was it speculation that you shared in? What were your thoughts at the time? I, rem- I remembered this, um, and I thought, you know, fans have their fun theories, and it's always fun to, to speculate about these sorts of things, but I never really bought it. I thought, no, this is, this is a legacy casting. Christopher Reeve is not playing Superman. Terrence Stamp is not playing Zod. And Ed O'Toole is not playing Lana, right? I mean, there's the, there a precedent had been set. Now, it, because this Jor-El in Smallville was so antagonistic, like, and he's like, come to me, Kal-El. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, he really does sound like Superman too now, right? Um, that I understand why people, and they could have they could have done that if they really wanted to. Like, well, Zod grew up to the AI of the ship and I'm your true dad. They, um, they did again Smallville. You heard us talk about it in our previous episode. They ran so long, they tried a lot of different things. So at first they're like, and I, I find that the more fascinating take, honestly, on, on Jorel. It's like, you know what? We're doing something new here. This is not the Marlon Brando. I've sent you my only son Jorel thing. Uh, this is this is a, a an alien uh culture with a whole different philosophy. And you know what? Maybe they did think, you know what? I'm gonna send my son here who's gonna rule. Great. Um, and then you have Jorel over here and Lionel over here for Clark. And Lex, and that's like, oh, that's so cool. Uh, and it even reinforces why the kids are the, the difference maker for Clark. Because it's like, you know, the, people say, like, oh, well, it's it's you know, the kids are what made Superman. It's like, yeah, but then he's got Jorel telling him, like, hey, you're gonna, especially in these movies, for example, like you're gonna go save the world, right? I'm like, oh, okay, great. Um, now Smallville did some, I wouldn't, I won't call it course correction. It was just like they changed kind of what they were doing. How much of that is because of Superman returns, we'll never know, right? Because before Superman Returns, Smallville was about geometric shapes and caves. And then it was a fortress of solitude with crystals, literally showing you stock footage from Superman the movie. <laughs> you know, um, so it existed in this weird space there. But uh, but no, no, I uh, I I thought I thought the the voice of Ter- Terrence Stamp is fantastic as uh, as Jarrell, especially for what they were going for earlier. Um, even if you're not a Superman fan, it, it, he's got a cool commanding voice. You know, it's like he is a guy that you could never see and still feel his presence, right? Um, which is as much as I love Superman and Lois, uh, the current show as of this recording, I, I have not been too impressed by either of the parents, honestly, you know, Jarrell, they're fine. They, they exist. They are just plot points. They are just like, I am your holographic father that like, I don't get any kind of gravitas or anything from, from either of them. And it just, it really makes me appreciate the Terrence Stamp Jarrell even more, uh, from Smallville. Cause even though we never saw him, he was a presence, right. And, and when he interacted with Clark, it meant something um and and now it's just like hey here's my holographic mom and and she's got she's doing scans on people and my holographic dad's over here now i like i, I like the story of superman and lois and what they're doing just the presentation uh is lacking so that's that's a very long answer 
to your question there, Anthony. No, it's all good. I, I share your view on Superman and Lois. Love the show. Not the biggest fan of their Jor-El or Lara. In particular, the Jor-El. Gravitas is the perfect word. That's what exactly what I was thinking as you were as you were laying that out. If there's a certain weight that's just not there. And I don't know exactly what it is. Maybe because we see him so clearly full-bodied. Yeah, you know, it's a hologram, but he's yeah basically there. You know, one of the episodes with the flashback one where he's asking Clark, oh, how was your wedding? It's just like, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's too... so strange, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was a little so strange. It was a little weird. There needs to be more distance, right? The floating head or the disembodied voice that we got on Smallville. I felt like that works better. Uh, as far as Smallville, yeah, I don't, I don't remember ever thinking like, oh, it might really be Zod. I remember reading that on the Krypton site message boards. I don't know that that yes, was something yes. I necessarily shared in, nor would I have wanted it. I think that I agree with everything you said about the the roles of the parents in the show and the difference that they make. And this depiction of Jor-El reinforced that. And also, look, it created a lot of tension. I think that's probably one of the reasons the show was able to go as long as it did. If everything was great between Clark and Jor-El from, you know, from the jump, you don't have as far to go. So they got a lot of mileage out of that tension all the way up until the final minutes. I mean, it really took until the final minutes of the show for Jor-El to truly, truly come around and, and embrace his son and give him those words that Clark had so, so you know, longed for. Mm-hmm. I, I this it, it's a very it's a great conclusion to that arc, if you will, for Clark and Jarrell, and and I love the sentiment, but the way the the way he says the line is so it's so funny. He's just like, it is Jonathan and Martha Kent, and all the people in Smallville that made you who you are. <laughs> That's such a strange thing to say. <laughs> it's but. <laughs> That that line always stuck out to me. Like, and all the people there, <laughs> just I don't know. This to, to, to think about that Jarrell from like rule them with strength, right? Here's a brand, right? And then he's talking about like, yeah, these people are great, right? By the way, I met them in the '60s, or at least their parents, and they were cool. <laughs> but uh, anyway, no, I, I I agree with you. I I I don't think I I don't I would not have liked that twist. Uh, either this, that they, Superman Lois would totally do a twist like that, though, wouldn't they? Like, oh, you thought I was this character? Well, guess what? It's not like as of this. Re- this is a quick, just a quick tangent. As of this recording, one of my buddies messaged me to ask about the the Allie Alston character who's figuring on uh, prominently on the show this season. By the time this airs, maybe we'll have an answer. But he was like, oh, I, I heard maybe she's this person, maybe she's that. I was like, look, with this show, anything could happen. They love a bait and switch. Even if you think it's going to be one person, probably someone else. So I, I really couldn't say it could be anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely cool having him on the show as that voice. Great voice. And I agree with you. The fact that we don't see him in any capacity in the fortress, you really need a voice that has that that weight to it. And and his certainly does. As far as other ways in which the Donnerverse impacted Smallville, I mean, Certainly the, the the visual representation of the fortress, the the throwing of the crystal at the end of season yeah. four that gives rise yeah. to the fortress, the musical cues that we get throughout the series until we build to the big finish in the series finale. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what were some of the other things? Uh, some of the legacy casting, of course, um, in addition to Annette O'Toole, of course, we had Christopher Reeve and Marco Kidder pop up and Mark McClure. I mean, there are you know, yeah. a bunch of examples, but any anything else that that really stands out to you as as the Donnerverse brought to life well, on Smallville. 
Well, I think Al Goff and Miles Miller even referenced, right? Hey, that that Superman the movie Smallville sequence, right, is is what we kind of based our show off of. Which, like, sentiment wise, yes. Uh, I mean, like, there were no meter freaks, meter showers, and stuff. Then it was very, it's a very more small town America uh, thing there, right? But like the, the, you know, Glenn Ford has such a small role, but such a powerful role, right? Of like, you're here for a reason, right? He gives him that speech and all that, and. And then it has his heart attack, right? And it's very similar. It's a very, it's very, it's a very different situation, but but it's actually still very similar to, to how Jonathan Kent dies in Superman the movie and in Smallville, um, like where he you know just has a heart attack and he dies and you know right there in front of Martha and, and Clark, and it's a very powerful moment there. And um, and the whole like Clark is kind of a you know <laughs> in the earlier seasons, I mean even not that long of the show, but like I I always enjoy the Clark where he's kind of like the kind of awkward outcast but outcast by choice because like he's like oh i don't like i i don't really fit in here i can't play sports i can't do this i can't do that right um that vibe you know i i, I responded to that vibe as, as a young person right and i'm like yeah right like we're all outsiders just like superman right and even though if you're not the captain of the football team you're you're superman they just don't know it that kind of thing right so the whole like clark getting picked on by the football team thing work like the whitney character is the brad character more or less right from these movies um and like that kind of and like there's 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 lines from Smallville that are straight out of here, right? In season one, like Jonathan uh, episode Nicodemus, I'm gonna drop some Smallville knowledge on people, right? Jonathan has like a, a fever and he's dying in the hospital, and and Clark's like all my abilities and there's nothing I can do to help him, right? And and when Clark wants to play football, Jonathan says you're much more you're 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 here for much more important things than than winning football games, right? These kind of themes, right? These these, these so definitely especially early Smallville, they're really basing it off of. A small sample size, but still, like, a, like a, it leaves an incredible impact, right? Um, so I think you see all those things in, in, in Smallville. And that's why I was never a fan of him playing football <laughs> on Smallville. I'm like, no, clearly established in your blueprints around the movie that you should not be a football star. Uh, but, again, hey, uh, you, you know, post-crisis he was, and that's, there are many interpretations, of that, and that's fine if, if, if that works for you. Um, I prefer the Superman and Lois where his dad wouldn't even let him play baseball. <laughs> You know, I'm like, yes, that's the correct parenting if your kid has superpowers. Can't even play an, a non-contact sport. It's just no right. sports for you. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, then I guess um, something that uh, very, I mean, applicable to the Donner Lester cut conversation is like Superman's intimacy with with others, right? Uh, in uh, the Donner cut, right? Uh, him and Lois uh, consummate their relationship uh, before he gives up his powers. In the Lester cut, it's after. So the Lester cut kind of implies, and you guys touched on this as well, I think, in your conversation. The Lester cut implies like, well, uh, I, I can't be with human women if I am a superpowered man, right? And so that, that's kind of it's it's not said, but it's implied through the the, the series of events, right? Um, and here, and I remember this was some of the buzz back then. This remember this came out like pre Superman Returns, or it was like concurrent with Superman Returns, right? The Donner cut. They're like, oh well he had sex with Lois before he gave up his powers and so the kid in Superman Returns is going to be his and have powers. Right? That was all the conjecture. And and that that's your own, that's for you to have about Superman Returns in, in a couple episodes, but it's like, but th- that this, that movie doesn't even recognize Superman too. They, they, <laughs> like it's very complicated. So this technically should have been when, you know, uh, Lois uh, got pregnant with Jason. But then if you reverse time, that's a problem because it never happened. Then if you do a memory kiss, that's an even bigger problem because how did I get pregnant with your kid? Right. But that's, that's not, that's not for us to discuss today. So, but that's just, those are just things I thought about. 
Um, I bring it because Smallville had the whole like subplot with like, well, I have my powers now. I can't be with Lana and and, and this and that. And and that was a big that was a big fact. We actually talked about when you were <laughs> you were on my podcast talking about um, uh, Persona, the episode with Bizarro, where that was a thing with with uh, Lana and Bizarro. And it wasn't for Lana and Clark. And that was just a very um, it was it was a, a subplot of Smallville on and off for a while. And, and that's not addressed straight on here, but you could kind of see the you know, the the connection there somewhere. We'll be back in action in just a moment following these words about our sponsors. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I am an alum of these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, ticketing information, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. A great friend of this show is one of our regular guests, Justin DeVoe. In recent years, Justin has embarked on a truly remarkable fitness journey, which you can see for yourself on Instagram at RealLifeLobo. And if you're looking for guidance in starting or continuing your own fitness journey, check out at IronAndHonor on Instagram. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions to save 10% on your order. Again, that's promo code FSP. It helps support the show too. Thanks. It's funny because it's subtle in a sense, but yeah, when you look at the sequence of those scenes in the two cuts, you're 100% right. In the theatrical cut, he seemingly has to give up his powers first in order to bed Lois. So that conveys the sense that he is not able, physically able to uh, to engage in that act with a human being. Now, on the one hand, I think it makes wanting to give up the powers more, it's a, it's a cleaner, simpler, maybe more understandable and digestible dilemma and choice. It's like, well, he wants to be with her literally, and he can't do that unless he gives up his powers. I've never liked that take, and I did not like that Smallville used it until they didn't. Right, they <laughs> for these few seasons where he's like, I, I can't, I, you know, I can't have sex with Lana, and then I think we might have even talked about, it. yeah, I think we did talk about this specifically when I was on your show, but uh, you know, there's one of like season nine episodes when uh, Clark and Lois are dating at this point, and they go to the bed and breakfast with Oliver and Chloe, and you know, Chloe says something like, oh, like I thought you and Lo, like I thought you couldn't be with a woman, and he was like, well, I've been training with Jor-El, and I figured out how to use my powers. <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> good, good on them for addressing it. 
At right? least they addressed it, yes. Because how many threads on the internet would be like, well, it's starting season five, blah, 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 blah. but it, it is kind of like, well, how does that work? I don't even, you know, good. You know what? You addressed it. We'll move on. But it's just, how do you trade for something like that in the Fortress of Solitude? I don't know. I mean, that's so. the scene. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen that scene? Oh, man. Because it's like, does Jorel bring it up? Is that part of the lesson? You know, your compatibility with humans. Does Clark bring it up? He's like, look, man, I've been depriving myself for years. Like, do I, can we work something out here? Education Crystal 108, yeah. human intimacy. <laughs> so I never, you know, I never really liked the way that played in the Lester cut, even though, again, I do think it is, it's simpler. What we get in the Donner cut is much more interesting. And, and this is one of the things I wanted to un unpack with you because here he does sleep with Lois first and then he has this conversation with Jorel. And Jorel essentially tells him you can't, you can't serve humanity and invest your time and, and love with a human. And then Clark says, well, what if I don't want to serve humanity anymore? And apparently retaining his powers, but simply not being Superman, like that's not an option here. It's, it's, it's mm. one or the other as far as how Jor-El sees it. And he says, if, well, if you want to live as one of them and love one of them, then it follows you must, you must live as one of them, be one of them. And of course, presents him with this this chamber that will bombard him with red, uh, red sunlight and and remove his powers permanently. This cannot be undone. I mean, what is your take on this? And obviously, this you know we have to have a movie here, and this is going to set up the the rest of it. So like it it has to happen. But this this notion that it it has to be one or the other. If he wants to be with Lois, he he has to relinquish his birthright, his powers, the Kryptonian part of himself. I think it might play into the whole pre-crisis of it all, because obviously in post-crisis, they've kind of they've found this balance. Right. Uh, because, you know, Clark is the one who you know gets engaged to Lois and dates Lois and those kinds of things. It's not just the whole Superman angle um, and like the whole identity thing, because Jor-El even says, if you will not be Kal-El, it's like, well, he is Kal-El. Right. I mean, I, the whole Superman's what I can do. Clark Guinness, who I am thing. It's as eloquently put in Lois and Clark, which is like the the mission statement for Superman, I think, post-crisis and rightfully so. Um, it's because if I Superman be like, okay, well, I'm just going to leave and do whatever I want <laughs> and not talk to you anymore. <laughs> it's like, so what, you don't have some like control over him, Jorel. You know I mean? It's, um, it's not, this is like, not the Jorel of Smallville. The Jorel of Smallville would have frozen him and it would have been a whole thing. Right. Branded him and frozen <laughs> him and, you know, trapped him in there. But I, I, um, I, I see, like you said, you have to have a movie, right? You have to have the conflict and, and, and stuff. And and I don't know. I was more, I was more taken aback by this version's. Uh, like he's like, after all I've done for them, like come on, man, I, I deserve some happiness. I'm like, whoa, what do you, what do you like? It's, that's very, that's very selfish. At it, I'm like, I used to, teenage Clark can feel that way on Smallville, but not Superman. You just started. Like what? Like Superman? The, the Superman to the Donner cut is like I don't, immediately after, right? Like you've been Superman for a, for a, a week, a month. Like, well, just, you know, I liked it in my head canon. I feel like a little more time passed since Superman the movie. Like, he had, like, some adventures and, like, between, like, the first interview with Lois and them in the desert with Lex Luthor and the missiles. Like, he just doesn't say that or anything, but you can assume that if you want, whatever, right? But he's been Superman for a very, very brief amount of time in order to want to give up his powers um, for no real reason. Like, Spider-Man 2, let's bring in a different franchise, like... Like Superman two walked, so Spider Man two could run. Like it took this, like okay, like the soup. He loses his powers, but it's not really his choice. It's he's just being overwhelmed with life, and then he's like, you know what? 
life isn't so bad without my powers. And then he realizes, oh no, I need my, it's like, it's a journey, right? It's it's a whole sequence, right? Um, as opposed to this one, which you, you Superman two, both versions, as you guys mentioned in your conversation before, uh, I mentioned not to just repeat you, but just to let you guys know, go check out that, you know, not, not the retread, but like, yeah, it would have been more interesting to have more of him dealing with that choice as opposed to, oh, I got beat up once. And, and that's great scenes, great stuff, right? But just to have more consequence, because like much like, you know, we're talking about turning back time, there's no consequence, really. Yeah, his consequence for losing his powers is the Jor-El has to give up his life energy, right? Um, so, I mean, that's a big deal if you're Superman and you spent like 12 years with him in the fortress and that kind of thing, right? That's a, he's a huge, this Jor-El is a bigger part of the Superman's life than probably any other Jor-El. Um, but it just, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I, I don't follow that on either front of like, you, you can't be a Kryptonian and like the intellectual, like just the, just the just, I, not intellectual. What is it? The, I don't know what the right word for it is, but it, it's just like Jarrell's thinking of like, no, you can't, you can't do that. Well, why? Well, because I said so, because, you know, it's, you know, that that's where we are with, with that choice. So. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so interesting. And, I think where I was more frustrated with it before I'm, I'm more intrigued by it now and, and what it means. And I might be looking for meaning that isn't really there, <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, you know, I've really been thinking about it now. One, one quick thing when you mentioned that uh, when he says like, you know, haven't I done enough for them? It felt more like Smallville. Just going back to what you were saying before, I agree totally about a lot of the ways in which that Smallville sequence and Superman the movie informed the Smallville TV show thematically and, and even in terms of specific dialogue and, and plot points. I agree with all of that. But it's funny because the, the Clark in that Smallville sequence in Superman the movie, you know, he wants to use his powers to play football, right? That's that initial tension. He has to, he has to kind of hide, right? And he's getting made fun of and he wants to play football. And we see that play out on the TV show. But it was the the Superman 2 and the Donner Cut in particular, the scenes with Jor-El that so made me feel like I was in that Smallville world. And that felt to me like the even bigger influence, even though I know Smallville was already well underway before this Donner Cut uh, you know, even, even, even came to light. But just this idea of him wanting to live a normal life and being willing to give up his powers, <laughs> it just felt like, oh, like this feels very in keeping with what we got on Smallville for so long and then got it again in crisis, but that's a separate that's conversation. Right. I was going to, I wasn't going to bring up crisis, I <laughs> but that's the ultimate the end point for Smallville. So yeah. And, um, and, you know, side note, this is, Hey, this is a great small comparison too. You know, Tom Welling evolved as an actor over the show, right? He does some amazing emotional stuff in the latter half of the show that you, that season one Tom Welling to his own admission was like, I, you know, I wasn't the best actor or whatever. Right. Um, Chris Reeve definitely grows as an actor between like the initial shoots and in my opinion, uh, the initial shoots of, of this, because the Marlon Brando scenes were, I think the first ones they shot. And that's why, you know, and if you see the extended version of Superman, the movie, that's why he looks so like, you know, I would say skinny. I mean, like average, you know, he doesn't look like the sculpted, amazing strip straight out of the comics guy. He does later in the movie that he does there right. talking to Jarrell. My point being, you know, I that that sequence, and then especially the the repowering sequence, right, where he goes back to the fortress, like so much, like the the, re, the repowering, the lead up to it, where he goes back to the fortress and he's sitting there just like pleading to nothingness. He's like, "Mother, father, like I failed," and he just cries out, like "Father!" Right, like that is a far more effective scene because it says less, you know, like it's because like the Donner cut, he talks, he's like. 
the people of Earth are subjugated to a world ruled by your enemy, blah, blah, blah. That was not the time for that, man. Like you're in a you're a desperate guy right now. Like and even the visuals, right? You know, like the, the fortress in the in the Lester cut is all like dark and green and depowered and all that. And the Donner cut looks exactly the same. Like, I feel like there's been no like restoration of it as there has been. So um, th- just thinking about these scenes with, you know, Clark and uh, Kal-El talking to Jor-El, it's kind of where my mind goes right now. So, no, I I, I guess this is this is where we differ, because those scenes before and after the depowering in the fortress, those really worked for me. And it, as I've said before, with, with the the Donner Reeve incarnation of the character, you know, one of the walls that I've kind of hit sometimes is what I've seen to be this lack of of internal tension. And and I talked about this with Superman in the movie. You really don't get a lot. I mean, that movie is far more about this epic journey, which is awesome. And there are moments of tension when he loses Pa and he can't save him, when he you know wants to tell Lois a secret, but he doesn't. And then, of course, at the end where he is pulled between the advice of his two fathers. That's where you see it most. So it's there. I don't want to make it sound like this guy's got nothing to deal with, but it's not the driving force of the movie. But I got more okay with that Again, with this sense of, okay, it's more about the journey. He's this God living among men. I can get on board with that. But what I appreciated here is I felt like this kind of struck a, a nice balance. And I liked, I did like that tension as he was pleading with Jorel. The whole bit about, like you were saying, that, you know, uh, haven't I done enough for them? Will it ever be enough? I guess I'm a little split because I, it's. <laughs> I like seeing that side of him, and it's a different side of him than you typically see, though I do agree it feels a little out of place, especially where we are at this point in the story. But I guess it's all relative. You know, he's he has mm. done a lot. He hasn't had the years-long career that, you know, we've seen in the, in the comics, but... I don't know. I, I, Tom, I didn't Tom mind Tom Willing so was Superman longer than Chris Tree was at this point when he gave up his, his powers. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, actually, maybe that makes me a little bit more okay with Crisis then. You're right. There you go. That's the journey, man. You're going to go on that same journey. I, I, I look forward to you coming around on that. But um, <laughs> no, no, I mean, no, the, the conflict, right? The Superman. And, you know, I really love what you guys said, the kind of unlocking, like, this is why the Superman might be so universally loved forever or, you know, just still, right? As, like, people, gold standards say. Because it's like, yeah, he's just a superhero who loves being a superhero and does the right thing and shows up and he's super powerful and does his thing. And it's that that wish fulfillment fantasy that, 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 that kind of inspired Superman to begin with. Right. Not to say that there's no, you know, there's different shades of Superman like Bat. To me, Batman is a much more malleable character than Superman. So you can get all these shades of Batman and people are like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, Adam West or Frank Miller or whatever. Right. But Superman, it's like. It seems he he his world is malleable, but he is less malleable. And I, I feel like in, in the in the public consciousness, they they have a very specific idea of what he is, and you start messing with that, and people get upset. And that's you know just go look on the internet and see. Um, but that's interesting, right? Because that that is something that you know outside of the Donner cut, you really don't see mo- moving forward from Christopher Reeve Superman. You see the evil Superman, Superman three, but that's its own offshoot kind of thing and then in superman 4 he's just like i'm decided to rid the world of nuclear weapons. like okay oh great good for you man like so um and and if i guess you, you i guess there's two minds of it it's like would he feel more like jaded at the beginning of his career because he's still kind of maturing or would he feel more jaded at the end because he's lived through so much stuff i guess if i had to choose i would pick the beginning because you're still maturing 
You know, you you lack the wisdom of like, well, I know this is hard, but there's a reward and all. That's what Gerald tries to tell me. He's like, hey, man, like, what about you felt good about this, right? He's like, well, yeah, but I want to be with Lois more. <laughs> but he still has to admit that there is a certain ha- higher happiness, right, that he's aspiring, aspiring to that he gets from being Superman. Right. And that's the other thing. And I don't say this to be flip, but putting this in perspective, he's just had his what we can assume is his first sexual experience and not just a random one, but with someone he has genuine deep affection for. So I have to imagine that he's standing there (laughs) minutes later. It seems he's riding that high. (laughs) He's right. You know, so, I mean, you I mean, I have to imagine that that's, that's fueling maybe some of that, the, 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 the brashness, if you want to call it that, that you might not typically see. So again, I, I definitely appreciated this different side of the character. Is it, does it totally track, especially given how early in the journey he is? Maybe, maybe not. I think that's that's debatable. But as far as this whole notion of it, you, it's one or the other, again, I think this this view of the, the the God, the God among men, and especially the biblical aspect of all of this, and what Jorel even says about this higher this higher calling, this higher purpose and happiness that you should seek. Um, Again, when you think about it, and this is where it's it's hard to separate everything else we've seen, right? Because we've seen and read so many stories now where he is a superhero and he's dating and he's engaged and he's a husband and he's a father. So it's like we've seen all of these instances where it's like, no, clearly he he can do both. But I can I I can get past that, I suppose, and and recognize like in this version of the story, the way Jor El sees it, it's one or the other. Now why Clark and that's the other interesting thing I guess this is I hadn't really thought about this before but I guess those 12 years that he was getting trained were so formative because you do kind of like you were saying before it's like well, why doesn't Clark just say well you know I'm, I'm just gonna leave I don't think that's the relationship he has with this AI you know clearly there's there's obviously a lot of respect and he you know pleads with him in a way that he technically literally doesn't need to because Jarrell doesn't have the power over him, but he's so deferential to his father and to what his father thinks and prescribes for him. It's a different take. It's not one, you know, look, Tom Welling's Clark was always butting heads with Jarrell, no problem. <laughs> but, you know, in this in this take, it's like, I, I, I can get it, I guess. I can get on board. What do you think? Yeah, and, and like you said, there have been so many versions after that have like, not even consider this as like a dilemma that we're like, Oh, well then what's the problem? But you get 1980 when this would have come out for the first time, what do you have the George Reeve show and the movie serials and let's, and the, and the comics where he's just, there's always the permanent love triangle to never be resolved. Right. So this, this is, this would have, this would have been forging new ground. Right. And like, Oh, well this is interesting. What would, could Superman just be himself? And, and, you know, visually it is, you know, cool just to see, Chris Reeve in the Superman hair, but in like normal clothes, like yeah, that that's an interesting kind of in betweenness that you really don't see anywhere else, and it's 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 a good look for him, right? And um, and to, and to throw a little more positivity on it, right? Because I know I had been kind of leaning more negative at the beginning. Um, the depowering here, other than the terrible stunt double, which he, dude looks like Gerard Christopher, by the way, from Superboy. It's not him, but I mean, <laughs> why did they, they have so many shots that use this guy? And I'm like, you could have just obscured his face a little more, but it's like, no, <laughs> you clearly see that you're not Chris Reeve. Anyway, 
I didn't, I didn't, I was never really the biggest fan of like the whole, it was very eighties, the Lester version of the depowering. Like we're going to see your skeleton and we're going to use stock footage from Superman, the movie of him in the fire, which at the time no one had seen that footage. So that's very interesting in of itself. Luther's gauntlet going through the fire, mm-hmm. um, the skeleton, all that stuff, because, because you know what, um, when the villains get their powers taken away at the end and they switch it, that doesn't happen to them. So this, this tracks better. The Donner depowering tracks, it looks better, more slick. Um, and it tracks better with, the switcheroo at the end um and then it's and then it's the strange like you know the, the in the in the lester version like there's superman fades away and clark comes out it's strange right it's a but uh this is you know the, well the fortress blows up here you know um and Jorel's kind of pissed at lois yeah i guess with that kind of glare which is interesting right uh, I, I, I like that edge to it right so you know that that, that works yeah, I, I I was on board with the the way it was executed here. I thought that that worked fine, and I guess too. This the as I'm as I'm still sorting through all of this. The the other piece about just why he even needs to do this in the first place. I guess it calls to mind when we're talking about the biblical aspects of all of this. I know it's it's a movie and not the Bible, but the last temptation of of Christ, right? Where it's this this opportunity right to live that normal life and it's it's again in that movie you know he's on the cross when he's tempted with this so it's not you know the same sort of circumstance but still this this opportunity at a life and it's not about having both it's about sort of one or the other i mean i really and actually you know this other thing about it could have forged new ground with the romance i mean i would say it it did i mean the fact that it even dealt with the romance in a meaningful way right like the george reeve show Heart, like there were maybe one or two instances where they even touch on that. It's 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 not a part of it. In the comics, like you said, they always play with the triangle, but never resolved and never never move forward in a meaningful way. So it's like here, yeah, if they had allowed him to be Superman and to be in a relationship, that would have been that would have been great, and that would have lined up with what we are familiar with and what we know can work. But in this context, it's like at least they went as far as they did, and I I feel like in that sense it was that was new ground so I, I i do appreciate that at least where both cuts of the movie fall short i think are wrestling with the decision to give up the powers you know even like and since we're especially talking about the donner cut you know we see him lying in bed with lois and then he's at the crystal chamber right there's we don't see anything else there's no conversation with lois which you know not not he makes this unilateral decision that's a monumental right. one for both of them and the world and never discusses it with her. She's like, I don't want a bodyguard. I want the man I fell in love with. Like, well, Lois, I wish you were here. We should have talked about this. You know, then <laughs> even later they say that. And I'm like, yeah, you guys should have talked about this. <laughs> should have talked about this. So the lead up to it, I would have liked a little bit more. And what follows. And in both cuts, it's the same thing. It's like one scene at the diner and he gets beat up and he sees the news report of Zod and it's like, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. I have to go back. Like there's so much more that I, I would have loved to have seen. decision. Anchorman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or Arrested Development. It's like, I made a huge mistake. It's like, mm. it's, it's instantaneous. And I, I feel like it would have had more impact had we spent more time with powerless Clark. And kind of on that note, I was curious what your thoughts were on the overall structure of this movie and the Donner cut in particular, because we get a rather lengthy previously on sequence at the beginning of this. It goes on for a while. I was surprised, even though I rewatched it fairly recently, but I'm like, oh, it's like a lot of a lot of scenes from Superman, the movie to to give us context, even though we don't we don't need it. But the movie gives it to us. 
And then the first good chunk of the movie is really following three disparate threads. They will come together, but we have Lex escaping and going to the fortress and learning about the Kryptonian criminals, which ends up being largely pointless, I, I would argue. We can circle back to that. We have Lois figuring out Clark's secret, and then we have the Kryptonian criminals emerging, tearing through those poor astronauts, and uh, and then the, their small town rampage. But I felt like there was not and I know it was a lot of setup and it would eventually come together, but it just felt a bit meandering for the first good bit of the movie. What did you think? Yeah, I, I think this is another factor where I prefer the Lester cut because it does tie together these things. Like Because when, when I heard about the Donner cut, I was like, oh, that's so cool. They tied the missile together with the, the Phantom Zone criminals. That makes so much sense. It's all connected, right? One leads to the other. But then you see this and this and it's very, as you said, drawn out previously on Superman sequence, right? Um, it's like, yeah, that was, that was you know, it kind of went on for a while. Like, it's, it's, it, I just, it was strange that I, I, I just assumed that the Donner cut would be like the Lester cut, the theatrical cut, but with Marlon Brando in it at the beginning. Like I thought like, oh yeah, you're going to do the recap with the criminals. You're going to recap the last movie and the credits, like all that stuff is there, but it's just, it's a very strange, like, I don't, I don't know if this was part of the script or it was an editing decision or what, but the way they recap Superman, the movie was just clunky, right? For lack of a better word, um, not very elegant. And then, um, and then some pretty questionable CGI, if I must say, when they get released from the phantom zone, I, I do prefer there's something about like, yeah, there's dated practical effects like the eighties. I'm like, I don't, that still dates better than this strange. Like, I, again, I go to like history channel, documentary sci-fi channel original movie kind of level cgi and i can i don't know their budget i don't want to keep dunking on them uh, but it is an xk 101 rocket not an xk 10 rocket they left a number off the rocket and that's annoying <laughs> but i know i'm nitpicking <laughs> so um but all that to say there's not any superman action until niagara falls in this movie anthony like outside the recap and uh as I understand, it, there would have been Donner didn't get any chance to film him, but he would have Superman would have like flown by a jet and stopped like some fox hunters, or there was, there was something for Superman to do before you know later on in the movie. And I think that kind of shows. Not that I'm like sitting here like where's Superman, but it is odd you go like halfway through the movie where there's really nothing going on, and then he gives up his powers. <laughs> you know, so there's really not much Superman in Superman too. Um, but I, I did like the expanded Lex stuff. You know, I, I liked I liked the expanded like stuff that just even seeing extensions were good. You know, in the Donner cut more back and forth with Otis was great. Um, I think I prefer Gene Hackman's Lex in two than in one. Um, I, I do, too. I would agree with that. Yeah, just he has more shades to him. He's bald for more of it, which is great, uh, or at least has a, uh, like a bald cap on. And uh, even, you know, a, a big change like positives, right? I got positives for this. Uh, a change they made. Uh, for the Donner cut was when they're in the hot air balloon after they escape, they pay, they put that in Metropolis right after they escape and they have him and Miss Tessmacher have that conversation. That conversation makes way more sense happening where it does right after they escape than like, did you go like a hundred miles and not just talk about what happened with Otis, <laughs> you know, in the theatrical cut anyway, thoughts I have about the pacing there. And, uh, cause it does take a while to, to, to come together and, and, and the, uh, the Donner cut too, like, even the the tweaks they make to like the the attack on the moon, right? Like they do a little camera tilt when they fly off. That just adds so much more life to that shot. Um, and then just technically, just overall, like because thinking about these sequences, it stuck out to me here too. Like 
the color timing I much prefer on the Donner cut. It's a cooler. Everything's more blue. You know, everything was more like kind of like brownish and you know, almost dingy sometimes looks in, in the theatrical version. Now that was like of the times, right? I guess like late seventies, early eighties, a lot of those films have that look to them, but I, I prefer that kind of cooler, cleaner look uh, that the Donner cut has. Uh, so those are my, you know, those are some scattershot thoughts about the beginning, but absolutely the, as I referenced it earlier, the opening scene, the daily planet with Lois and Clark and, and, and Perry, right. And her jumping out the window, that is fantastic stuff. And um, to think we would have never seen that is crazy to me. Right. Because it's so, because Lois even says like, you know, it took me a while to figure it out. And usually stuff does stuff does like, this doesn't get by me. And it's only been, we'll give them, we'll say it's been a week, a month. It's been super fast. And she figures this out as she should. And this is probably one of the fastest Lois figures out a secret ever. Right. Um, and, and yeah, anyone could just draw that on Superman. That's why you shouldn't pose for pictures, Superman, you know, <laughs> because anyone could do that. And I thought it was fantastic. And their interplay is great. Um, although not to make this a versus conversation, this is more of a hypothetical what what is more risky, Lois jumping out of a building or jumping into Niagara Falls? What do you, like what's the bigger risk here? You think Anthony for her to test Clark's secret? I mean, <laughs> I mean, if she's wrong, I feel like she'd have a better chance in the water than <laughs> the bottom of a building. So yeah, this was uh, she was really, but I get you know that really shows a lot about her character. She was convinced. And of course she was right, but you know, Clark is mm. very committed to the bit and yeah. you know, obviously, <laughs> you know, super speeds down to the street and uses his super breath and heat vision to cushion her fall, but heat vision through the glasses, which I always the love glasses. in these movies. I know, I know. You do the tilt the glasses down. I guess the, Dean Kane did that on Lois and Clark, right? He used to tilt the glasses down. Mm -hmm. So that's what I, even when you're like playing Superman as a kid, you're like, I'm going to tilt the glasses down, but it's like, oh, you're just <laughs> firing right through those glasses there. So, but it is, they take this sequence and they repurpose it for Niagara Falls and, and I like them both, you know, like to different degrees of, you know, um, but I, I, I think you, ultimate version of the movie aside i think you do have to not do both because it's it's so repetitive like you have to yeah. choose one um and yeah i just love this scene right i i i think it's great and to see clark do clark things or clark do superman things as clark reminds us of small but we love it mm -hmm. um but often you know he often just turns to superman to do things so to see him as you said he's so committed to it he's just super speeds down and does this and that and i love like oh you just you just step out for a while right that's it's great stuff. I, I love other than the stunt double and the weird voiceover thing, which I mentioned already. Oh, what are you, what are you nodding down there? You're not Christopher Reeve. Get out of here. But um, a really fun sequence and a great way to kick off the movie and kind of reintroduce you to these characters. And uh, like one of Perry White's two scenes <laughs> and Jimmy, I guess. So. It's true. I got to tell you, one of the things that I thought was so funny to me was when Perry, you know, Clark is talking to Jimmy in the background and then Perry yells at Lois and Clark to get into his office. And Clark like runs away from Jimmy. <laughs> he's like, you like I got basically like you I, I got in trouble. Like Jimmy, like you know, you you can't do that. Like and he's you know, it's part of his Clark Kent shtick, but there's something about it that just, just like so felt so genuine and earnest. And it was so funny to me that he was so upset that he got in trouble with Perry because Jimmy was talking to him. Right, right. The, the little slice of life in the planet. Um, although I, I don't know how, again, I don't know how long it's supposed to take place after Superman two, cause it's like a headline about what happened in California, but Lex Luthor is already in jail. It's kind of fast. 
Yeah, I mean, I do. I yeah, you don't get the sense that much time has passed at all. Not only is Lex fully incarcerated, although you know, Superman dropped him off at the end of the first movie. I That's think they right. threw him right in that there. cell. The, the the justice system was different in the late seventies. Okay. <laughs> Although he's worked fast because he's already created this projector system and well, his device to track the alpha wave. So he's a little he's black box. It's almost ready. Very quickly. I agree with you. I think that, and look, you still get the Niagara Falls setting in this movie, but I agree. As far as Lois testing him, I like the scene that we get in the Donner cut. I mean, I love the Daily Planet setting. And like you said, you get Perry, you get Jimmy. I, I think that was really cool. It was, it was amazing to get to see that. They even quote Perry in this line in the theatrical cut. Like Clark's like, Mr. White says that they're charging people for every cent they've got. And I'm like, they literally said that, but in the different version of the movie. So interesting. Um, and oh, here's here, see, here's a see the theatrical cut, right? We we do time has passed. You you kind of imply that more time has passed between the two movies. And Lois and Clark kind of have this friendship, right? Like it's cute. Like you you kind of see that they're they have like a, a true kind of more of a friendship than they had in, in, in this version. Cause she knows see Superman like off the jump here. Right. Um, but then like they do the whole freshly squeezed orange juice thing, right. And that's cut. And they cut that out of here. But then when we go to Niagara falls, she's like, Hey, we get me some orange juice. She's like, I know, I know freshly squeezed. I'm like, what you guys can't, you got to edit that out. Like you, <laughs> you can't leave it an in joke. That's referencing a scene that you deleted earlier in the movie. But anyway, now we're getting in the weeds of the comparison, but I just wanted to throw that out there. I so. mean, I'll, I'll, I'll speak up on the movie's defense. I guess okay. it gives you the <laughs> sense that, cause I had the same thought as I was watching it. Like, okay, oh, that doesn't okay. really work, but it was like, it shows, even though we've not seen that, that other moment about the orange juice, it's like you, can fill in the blanks in your head. And it's like, clearly they have this rapport and they know each other this well. So even though you haven't seen it, it's like, you know, that's where that's coming from. I, I was okay with that. Uh, going back to the Lex stuff. It's funny. Cause I, I, I liked Lex's escape. I like Lex in the fortress. Of course that would, we would see another iteration of that and echoes of that in Superman returns. But uh, like I said before, I just, it just felt ultimately inconsequential that he goes to the fortress and he learns about the Kryptonian criminals because it, it ends up not really, I mean, coincidentally, very conveniently, these are the same Kryptonian criminals who have now just escaped. And then Lex will see them on the news and he'll know to go to the white house later. But I feel like Lex would have done that anyway, even if he didn't have the backstory from Jor-El uh, so, you know, I, I guess he's able to drop like, well, Jorel, your jailer, the son of Jorel, like that's able yeah. to give him an end with them. But you are. That's a good point. Like <laughs> other than his insider knowledge, which seems to at least stop them from killing him immediately. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, um, I also feel like I agree with you. I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, well, he knows about Jorel, but I feel like, you know, you go back to Superman's first interview with Lois in, in the first movie, and he tells her he's from Krypton. He tells her his the one weakness, the one limitation to his x-ray vision. So it's like, I feel like he probably would have mentioned Jor-El at some point, and Lex would know that. But no, I agree. I think that that does definitely give him the right. end in terms well, of time. If, if we can buy Lex Luthor figuring out kryptonite, <laughs> right, we can buy him figuring out Jor-El. That is a... People have the problem with people say that Superman the movie's perfect except for the time reversal. I'm like, well, I'd say Superman the movie's perfect except for Lex figuring out kryptonite, where it came from, where to find it, and how it affects Superman. But that's a conversation for another time. Um, yeah, I, uh, well, you know, in, in a deleted Donner scene that they did not put in the Donner cut, Lex kind of figures out that his missile is what released the criminals. He's like, ah. It's like, even when you lose, you win, you know, Superman set them free. This is great. And I'm like, that's, 
if you're going to tie back into that, that would have been important to have. But I don't know. I, there's something about like, you know, Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor. He's not my favorite. He's not my choice of Lex Luthor, but I enjoy him as Lex Luthor, right? If you, if you he has the vibe he has. I, I got to say, you know, Rosenbaum says he's his favorite. And I can see Rosenbaum channeling that in a lot of his performances. As serious as Rosenbaum gets, he does have a kind of jovialness to him and a jokey nature uh, at times where I'm like, yeah, I can kind of, I can see the the DNA between both of them being shared there. And you know, him interacting with Jor-El is fun and and that sort of thing. And these are things that we had been like, oh, wow, we're going to see Marlon Brando in, in these scenes, right? And this is part of them. Um, I, I, again, I don't know if it's a budget thing. It was odd the way he was presented sometimes, like as a, a head kind of just bouncing around, just strange. Because I just like, oh, he's going to be the kind of ghostly head that Superman talks to, I thought. But now he's, for whatever reason, in these scenes and in my head canon, and it's like, oh, well, these are the recording crystals. And that's how they look. But when you're talking to the spirit of Jor-El, see, we, we both got our head cannon. So we're talking mm-hmm. to the spirit of Jor-El. He's this ghostly figure you can interact with, right? Um, so that's how my head cannon solved it. Because that was kind of an unexpected thing to me. And then also him seeing the villains, right? Because kind of, I guess they wanted to kind of spice up the, the presentation. Of like, here's what Zod looks like, et cetera. So that, that was interesting. So, Yeah. No, no, your 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 points are well taken. I I I feel similarly about Gene Hackman's Lex. Not my favorite, but very enjoyable. That's that's kind of where where I fall on that too. And and that's probably why we both like him more in this one because he has to play off the villains. Like there's a bigger threat here. Yes. So he he never like quite teams up with Superman. They have a couple of moments. Like one of the best moments, he's like Superman. Thank God. I mean, get him. It's so good. It's such <laughs> it's a great so moment. Good. <laughs> and then at the end too right it's like with a double crossing like so those moments are great and the, and he plays off them all so well uh that, that i think that's kind of why i kind of lean toward him more liking him more in this film than the first one that makes sense that's probably why i do as well you know it's funny when i've talked about superman 2 before i i took the movie to task for you know how how the movie presents clark really as 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 the disguise and it's like well of course it all falls apart when he doesn't have his powers and he gets beaten up and it's you know because this clark doesn't there's no substance to the man he's just this this facade but like i said the way i'm looking at it now it's like i feel like that's kind of the point or or part of the point and i I, i'm more okay with it it's like and it's funny too because one of the lines that always bothered me was when lois and, and superman are at the fortress having their romantic dinner and she asks him about being Clark and he literally says like, I don't, you know, I, I kind of like being Clark sometimes, even if I do make a fool of myself. And I remember thinking it's like, Oh, it, it is just that disguise for you. But it's like, but it is. And I've just, I've, I guess I, what I'm trying to say is I really come to terms with the fact that this is the interpretation of the character here. Again, stemming from the pre-crisis mm-hmm. comics. And I don't have the issue that I did with it before. And I actually think it does, it does help me enjoy that diner scene more. Cause it's like, yeah, of course, of course this all falls apart. There's there's nothing there once you've stripped away the, the Superman of it. Right. Well, and he doesn't, I guess he doesn't know how to act. So would you care to step outside? This is how tough guys act, right? Yeah. And like, no, he's going to beat you up, man. And, and, you know, and I always, I find this humorous, but also authentic. Like when Superman doesn't have his powers, he doesn't know how to fight. He doesn't know how to take a beating. Like he, he's, like, he's like, my blood. Like, yeah, he's never seen his blood before because he's never hurt. He's never been hurt. Other than kryptonite in the last movie where he got weakened, right. like to truly be beat up by somebody. He doesn't know how to fight. We joke about it on Smallville all the time. He throws him 20 feet. That's the end of the fight. <laughs> right. And so when you have those powers, right, you, you wouldn't know. So I, 
I get it. I, you know, I get this might be a little bit of a stretch that it's like he had one hiccup and now he's like, oh, shut it down. I got to go get my powers back. But the, it was more the Zod thing. He got to, to get the powers back. It wasn't, oh, no, I bled once and got yes. embarrassed. Um, yeah, that's so, some... and I, I love I love the whole diner stuff, though. I, I do. Uh, I, I love the end. The end. I love the end. All right. And so like that's probably strike three against this, the Donner cut for me. We're like the end makes no sense either way. <laughs> Because like, did you just let me just get on my soapbox here for a second? I'm sorry. No way. <laughs> go for it. Go for it. I'm passionate about this, right? So it's just it's such a it's the power fantasy wish fulfillment thing to go. You got bullies. You want to you want bullies to get you know a taste of their own medicine, right? And this guy is a jerk, right? At the diner. So Superman comes back. He's like, hey there, right? And then of course all the people having seen this happen before, because like, oh, he's back. They're all, you know, like, hey, I just fixed up this place. It cost me a fortune, right? And you know, all the, everybody knows what's going on. He's like, oh, you're sitting in my favorite seat, right? Like, I don't know. He coming up to him, letting him punch him, breaking his. He doesn't like destroy the guy's life. He humiliates him. Maybe breaks a hand, right? Um, but the guy had it coming. And, and this is a quote that I will always think about. And you know, he, when he gives the people the money, he's like, oh, I've been um working out and does the whole arm punch thing and he walks off and the Superman theme starts and because Superman being Clark Kent being a responsible person was like I might cause some chaos but you know what I'm gonna pay for it right just just like when he like I don't know if this scene is in this movie actually but when he turns back into Clark at Niagara Falls he leaves the money for the hot dogs right when nobody's looking oh. that's the kind of guy Superman is actually I don't think that shot's in the Donner cut but anyway no. <laughs> it's not even in there so I just on every level I really enjoy that I know you guys really were not a fan of <laughs> of the diner stuff uh in your conversation about Superman 2 before but i really i just that's a a comic book like you know what good triumphs over evil you know what kids you know bullies are going to get theirs in the end i don't know it's it's a fun kind of note to end on uh and uh again though in the donner cut it makes absolutely no sense <laughs> because you know why would he tell the people that he's been working out if they've never seen him before they clearly all recognize each other it's not a like it doesn't work that way and what's crazy is Donner filmed this stuff with the intention of doing the time reversal at the end. <laughs> so like it doesn't work in the Donner stuff. It only works in the theatrical cut and the version it wasn't supposed to be in. It's just crazy to me. It's insane. And anyway, it's just so good. But no, I love it. I think it's a charming kind of like, you know, bullies get theirs in the end kind of lessons Superman teaches somebody. Um and then is it that different than, you know, I, well, I think it's a lot less extensive than in Man of Steel where the guy just he trashes that guy's truck with power lines, you know, or but if there's one consistent I found it's Superman is a jerk in all media because in the pilot of Smallville, <laughs> Clark stacks Whitney's truck between two other trucks. So anyway, I like Superman with a little edge to him like that. And um, I, I, I will I've defended the Donner, the, the Don's diner scene is Don's diner, by the way, Richard Donner, you actually see him a little cameo talking about the Donner cut here walking. He's that's in both cuts. But you see, he's I think he's like right when they pull up on the car, you see him walk by. So that's pretty cool. But anyway, there's my defense of the whole diner thing, Anthony. No, fair enough. I yeah, I agree with you. It, it definitely makes no sense in this cut. The, the fact that Clark goes back there. I mean, it's funny because I I was trying to bend over backwards and trying to come up with a way that it works. It's like, you know, clearly this guy is a jerk generally. So the fact that someone would come in when, and have an ax to grind with him wouldn't be so shocking to people. But it's I, I think no matter how you cut it, it just it, it just doesn't work. I've I, th I think historically as, as a someone who's watched this movie like yourself my, my whole life, I've always enjoyed 
that Rocky gets his comeuppance. And sadly, the actor who played him, Pepper Martin, just passed very recently at the age of, um, I want to say 85, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. Wow. Good run though. 85. But so I, but I always enjoyed that this bully got what was coming to him at the end of the movie. And, and I agree with you. We see in the Smallville pilot and Man of Steel, those were two examples, as you were saying, that I, I immediately went to, where there it is certainly, I mean, they, they obviously came after, but the, you know, we have this, this commonality here across interpretations. I think the problems that I've had with it more, and maybe what I was talking about in that other episode, are just mostly how quickly this all falls apart. I think that was more the thing. I think Ken had more of an issue with, he kept referring to Rocky as this old man who beats him yes. up. <laughs> Remember <He> just, that. <laughs> these are the things I was talking about. Like I'm listening to these guys and I like what they're saying, but like I 100% disagree <laughs> with what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, it didn't, when Ken was saying that, I didn't think about it too much in the moment, but then I was reflecting on it after. I'm like, I don't know, was the guy, like I don't know that he was that old. That's like, how middle-aged men look in the 70s. <laughs> Guy was 35 years old. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard life on the road. It was, you know. Really, That's uh, right. He's a trucker, you know. <laughs> so a weathered, but yeah, I think it was more. Oh man, I, I think for me the issue that I had was just how how quickly it all fell apart. How quickly Clark regretted the decision. Uh, but I, I I do agree. I think the in fairness the it, it is not just that he gets beat up it is also this news report and the 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 worst possible thing that could happen this threat from krypton that only he can protect them from he is now unable to do that so i think that does work what's what's funny though is i feel like there's again i always liked clark going back and 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 doing what he does to rocky but i feel like there's been more of a move i've seen online people talking about it i don't know that that decision is as well received generally now what sense do you have not i'm not asking you to speak for all fans but like what sense do you have about how people take that yeah i i could see how it's like a hot take on the internet because that's what people love to do like hey you know this old movie got a hot take on it right this thing you always loved well here's why you shouldn't love it right i, I can probably that's where it comes from right because this is the 24 7 news cycle we got to have in all these entertainment articles I, I can see someone some pulling that out and, and yet you know what yeah i i, I guess from someone's point of view, that's a very irresponsible thing for Superman to do, right? But the, again, the fact that he left the money, right? Maybe, maybe he dropped some cash on Rocky when he went out the door, right? Here, get your hand fixed up. Or, I don't know. That was a big wad of cash, right? Um, so I, I, I have no problem with it. I, I see if people like have a real problem with it, they're just like looking for a problem with it. Uh, but it's just see if what it is. This is a a action fantasy movie about Superman, right? That you know, has, has a nice little button at the end of it, right. To kind of alleviate the tension. This has been, this is a, like, it's a heavy movie, right. With what goes on in it. And, um, you know, and you kind of, so much had probably happened. You kind of forgotten. Like I can only imagine like, it's like it's sitting in the theater in 1980, right. It's like people probably have like, when, when you see him go back, right. We're like, Whoa, like I can just see that in my head. Right. Cause they go back to the guy. Never seen garbage, eat garbage before. Right. I'm like, Oh yeah. Get him. Superman. Like that is a crowd pleasing thing. Yeah. Right. And I feel like it still would be today. So that, that's kind of where, where I stand on it and where I think just a general audience would stand on it. I, I, I get that sense as well. And yeah, you know, it's like in the course of this movie, he's dealing with two two bullies, essentially. He's dealing with Zod and he's dealing with this other guy. And clearly Rocky is not the main focus of our movie, but you do. And that's why, too, that would you care to step outside works so much better because you do have that. Yes. The, that parallelism between um, between those encounters. And so to have. Rocky ends up and then to circle back to Rocky at the end. And, and I agree with you. I think as a viewer watching this for the first time in the theaters or at home, it's like, I don't think you necessarily expect 
Clark to enact any retribution against this guy. <laughs> so when he does, it's like, oh yeah, right. he went back. And <laughs> like, I, I think it's kind of like, what would you do if you were Superman? That's what we would do, right? Right. Yeah, and what what's what's what works too? I think is the initial scene does a does an effective job of showing it's not just that this guy beat Clark up, although that in and of itself would be sufficient. But you, they clearly show this guy is a jerk. He's rude to everyone. Uh, you know, he's he's uh, sort of a notorious figure here at this diner when he pulls up. Like, oh, right. So you know, you get the sense this guy is trouble generally, and and I agree. I think you know, you know, he breaks his hand, all right. But other than that, Clark spins him. He puts him on the tray and he shoves him. He lands on the pinball machine. It's not, you know, he didn't, he didn't totally wreck this guy. Yeah. And he's got the whole like Looney Tunes eyes. It's kind of played for, it's, it's, it's not, it's played for like, this was fun, right? Bro, you guys get what we're saying here. It's not like, yeah, Superman kicked that guy's ass. And he's like bleeding in the corner, <laughs> crying or something. It's, like, no, it's a very like, it's a, it's a very lighthearted revenge. Okay. So that I, I will defend that for my dying day. So I, I, I'm very happy it's in there. He didn't throw him in the phantom zone or anything like that. <laughs> That's right. He didn't, he didn't crush his hand and then throw him down a bottomless pit. Okay. <laughs> and then destroy the fort. He kills Lex Luthor in this. Did you know that? He kills Lex Luthor in a Donner cut because Lex Luthor's in the fortress and then Superman uses heat vision and the fortress disappears because they didn't include the Arctic police, which granted is a kind of ridiculous concept, but this is the world <laughs> we're living in now. Right? Like, yeah. I can I can buy that there's some small law enforcement outpost out there. I, I, I can get on board with that. No, I agree. I had, the, I had the same thought. And I watched the deleted scenes first last night. And then it was like, yeah, because when you see Lois Clark and Lex left, I mean, forget the villains. We All right. I mean, we know from the deleted scene, they get carted off, but let's, we'll put them out of our minds. It's like in the cut, the three of them are still Lois Clark and, and Lex are still in the fortress. And then it's just Superman and Lois fought, flying away. So it's like, yeah, what happened to Lex? I know it was such an odd choice to omit that uh, you know the other deleted scene that ties in with the the diner return is uh the the guy at the daily planet who clark bumps into and he's like well, why don't you get some more sleep buddy and yeah. that reminds clark, what's your take on that because it's kind of funny to me that, like he needed to be reminded of like oh yeah i gotta go teach that other guy a lesson <laughs> i i guess you <laughs> this is fun to, this is fun to break down and try to figure out i I could see two schools of thought on it. It's like one, it's like <laughs> Superman. Like if you don't have that setup, it's more fun to like, as the whole crowd, whoa, crowd pleasing moment. Like where you kind of see that for the first time. Um, but two, it's like the other hand is like, Oh, you're right. There's a bully out there. I need to go kick his ass. Like maybe <laughs> just to kind of see, and you need to be reminded that way is a funny thought as well. And, and Hey, side note on that, that guy, I, I, I just found this out recently in the grand scheme of things i don't know when a couple years ago that guy who plays that bully at the daily planet in the deleted scene is the guy with the boom box in the joker's gang in batman 89 oh really huh there's yeah. a crossover there you go <laughs> so anyway hashtag it's all connected but uh again why why are they cutting that scene out J jimmy shows clark the new camera mm -hmm. which works either way by the way actually works better if there's not a time reversal because non crushes his camera. Therefore he would need a new camera, but with them reversing time, why even put that in there? I don't understand. Um, and then more, why did you more another scene with Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor and Superman, Chris Reeves, Superman, they cut it out. They're already police. He does call him the Smallville smasher, which might've been a reason why they cut it out. Yeah, I know. I Cause he never knew too. his secret identity. Um, 
And that's that quite cool. Lex, Lex never figures out Superman's identity. That'd be a cool thread. But that is quite a like continuity, like question mark there. Like, oh, does he know he's Clark Kent? So maybe they saw that and said, we can't include it. But I would hate to lose the whole thing because of that. Yeah, I agree. I did clock that, too, when he when he calls on that. I was like, oh, because, you know, Smallville is I, I, a small a small town. So it's like it would be unlikely that there was just this random pull that that Lex came right. up with. So, yeah, that does raise a larger question. You know, I guess, and this ties back to what we were saying about you could have just ended the movie with Lex, with Lex, with Superman flying away from Lois's balcony. She knows his secret. They're both sad they can't be together. It's it's a bittersweet note to end on, but it works. And it's like, same thing here. You know, maybe Lex calling him the Smallville Smasher, it raises this question, did he figure it out? You know, you you, you can leave some open-ended questions here. I, I think that's okay. It's like, yeah, we know we don't have another movie to you know, from Donner to resolve all of this, but, but it's okay. It, it, I would have been okay with that. Yeah. The, the reversal of time again and again, we butt up against that because I think it does create a lot of problems. The scene with the guy, you know, with the bully at the daily planet is, I guess the other aspect too is I, maybe I, the one case I would make for it is that I, part of me likes that he needed to be reminded because otherwise it's like, you know, he's got a lot going on, but he's like you stewing that on away this for way. later. He's I'm really going to come back to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's my priority <laughs> yeah the I, yeah i i think i agree like if i had to pick a lane i, I kind of like how he has to be reminded that maybe, maybe that's where i land on it after all it's like oh yeah you know what that guy yeah you know what i should probably i should probably teach the guy a lesson because these these guys are jerks and that they can somebody better teach you some matter sir so i i love it when clark tries to be a tough guy and he's not like but he's so polite about it right you know like there's just something about that it's like that's how i would like to be a tough guy you know, if I were like, you know, teachers are matter, sir. And it's just like, I don't know. I like it. I like it. And um, that reminds me of like way of way forward Superman four, right? Where he's like talking to that real estate guy. He like wants to sell the farm. He's like, I'm sorry, sir. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Like, you know, Clark, like he's a nice guy, but he's not a pushover. Right. So anyway, I just there's a lot to be found in the Christopher Reeve Clark. Kent. I'm glad you guys are coming around on it. So, you know, like I said in that other episode and not, not to rehash, but the one that we just did a couple of weeks ago. I he was not quite as bumbling as I've always remembered him in my head. He he is, but not quite to the level of caricature that I think I had always remembered it. And even even within that, like I said, I just think there there really is something very poetic and beautiful about Clark being so overlooked in, in the exact opposite way that he experiences the world as Superman and that the way he is neglected and overlooked and put down as Clark gives him that added empathy and compassion. In, in in dealing with others who might be in a similar situation when he's Superman. So I, I, yeah, I definitely have really come around in a big way. And look, it's it's very funny. And just the the way that Reeve is able to create these separate personas in a in a shockingly believable way. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it's charming. Yeah. You know, I think that's the ultimate word for it. Um, but you know what? That leads to another point we should talk about is the Lois finds out his secret reveal. Yes. Where do you land on the... Uh, shooting him with a blank scene. So this is one of those instances where, you know, Donner had not filmed this scene, so they had to use the screen test. And so in terms of what plays out on screen, it's, you know, it's not, we would have ended up with a much more polished, refined scene that would have fit in more with the look and feel of the rest of the, of the, of the movie. So sort of taking that with a little bit of a grain of salt, just the idea of, of how, she finds out. I think I, it's tough because like we grew up with him falling into the fire in the hotel room at Niagara Falls. 
Uh, and I did, I do still always love his reaction after that when he realizes like, all right, I got to give this he's up. Like, he starts like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> like he starts to say some nonsense and he just stops himself and walks off. So good. So I like that, but I do like Lois testing him the way she does with the gun and then ultimately the trick of it was only a blank. So I, I think mostly I land on the side of Donner, but I really, really love Clark's reaction after the fire in the Lester cut. What, what about you? Yeah, it's one of these things where you have the production value that's always like, well, they're screen tests. And I, I just wish so bad that like they had the same glasses for Clark cutting back and forth between the glasses. Now, to be fair, you know, I don't think I mentioned it, but this movie starts out with a disclaimer. Yes. Where it's like, this is how we would have intended Superman to come out. Some things had to be pieced together and weren't able to be shot. And so there is a disclaimer for this. But it just, man, way to break the suspension of disbelief when Clark is literally like, his hair, I could even be like, oh, it's shorter, but like the glasses being different, like it's such a thing to stand out. But it's interesting to see. It's just interesting curiosity, though, because these are their screen tests and they're both really good. <laughs> like even Chris Reeve, he's like, realize, of course, Clark Kidd would have been killed. Like he's so on point. You see why they cast this guy as Superman, right? And I, the concept, I really do like the concept. The double twist is like it was a blank, although it would have been even more fun if it wasn't a blank. <laughs> Because Lois would have been so sure, much like her jumping out the window, her being so sure she's going to shoot this guy with a bullet. Um, the where it just and so that's like the production stuff. But narratively, narratively, I I feel like you know it's only the screen test because that's that's so that's why I don't have any more. But it's such a leap to be like, oh, you figured out my secret uh, to cut to flying romantically to the fortress. Uh, because the, the the theatrical cut is like, I'm in love with you. He's like, oh, we really better talk. Right? I mean, that's, and they kind of have this, yeah, we both better change. They laugh. Like there, there's a, there, there's some, you know, something to come after that. And as opposed to just like cut to the next scene. And of course the footage isn't there and all that stuff, but narratively overall, I have to lean towards the, the theatrical version of those things. And also just, just the whole, like where Lois tells him, like, he's like, I don't know why I did that. And she says, Maybe you didn't want to with your head, but you wanted to with your heart. I'm like, oh, that's like some that says something. And I and I like that. And and finally, last thing I'll say about it is, you know, not to talk too much about the theatrical cut, but it's it's like, you know, the 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 famous scene in Superman the movie where he takes off the glasses and he's like, Whoa, and then he turns back into Clark Kent, right? All in one shot. You kind of see that same thing happen, but from his back in the theatrical cut, like he like he goes up, you know, walks up some stairs and then he kind of like stops shrugging, stands up straight, takes the glasses off, turns around and he's Superman. And it's kind of like the spiritual sequel to that. So I hate to lose all that stuff, but there is, there is merit narratively to the whole Lois shooting him thing. So I'm, I am torn on that. Um, that's right. That's where I kind of land on it. I had forgotten about the line that you, you just quoted where she says, you know, maybe you, you, part of you did want to want to do that and reveal yourself. That is a cool moment. Yeah. It, it, it it's tough you know if we could have seen the fully realized lois shooting him scene with maybe more connective tissue that would have led more naturally to them in the fortress you know i'm sure we would feel differently but yeah there is a lot there really is a lot to like in that in that lester scene i, I agree this does become just yeah. more of a curiosity like when you watch the screen test and it's like well okay like you get the sense of where they were going but yeah i mean it does take you out of it i can't deny that well and then including this right we we cut i i assume this is the logic including this in the Donner cut, they cut out the other, any other scene that happens in the hotel room. Cause right. like, well, it doesn't look the same and we have to, we got to prioritize this. So we got to lose the lesser stuff and we hate Lester already. So we got to take all this stuff out. 
Um, but then you lose so much Clark and Lois interaction. That was my point earlier. Like they, they have like a rapport, a friendship, like the whole like, oh, uh, all those bets moving and all little fun things like that. The complimentary couch, other lines from the theatrical version, just even more moments they didn't have to. Like, I don't understand why they cut out like the, the aftermath of the Niagara thing. I, I'd even forgotten earlier if it was there or not. But like, you know, Clark you know, comes back and he's like, well, you, you, you know, I was up getting you a hot dog, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. Right. Like that's, there was no reason to remove that from the Donner cut. And it just struck to speak. You mentioned pacing earlier too. It just, it kind of throws off some of the pacing. You don't spend enough time with these characters and you're jumping ahead. I, I get cutting out things that were contradict. I get cutting out the jumping into the river, right. Because we did the jumping out the window, but like have a little back and forth with Lois and Clark there uh, by, uh, by the Niagara Falls. So I don't know, like, and that, that's something I did find, like you, you are missing some of that uh due to just the kind of cutting it down cutting it down to the to the bare essentials but uh but yeah i mean that that's really you know that that, that screen test it was one of those things i, I kind of heard about and i was very intrigued to see and then you see i'm like oh it's 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 these are screen tests <laughs> you know I mean, even like kind of out of focus a little bit and uh a cool special feature and i've heard you know i've heard people say maybe this footage would have been better experience if they just kind of released it all as like scenes or something right but i'm like no, because who's going to like sit and like, you know, it's like watching deleted scenes, like scene after scene after scene. It's good that it, it's experienced in this way. It would be a very underwhelming thing. But like, here's a special extra disc of lots of scenes that Richard Donner shot. Like, what would be the point of even making the effort to do this for that unless you're going to assemble it? So I, I, I'm still for despite all my reservations, if you guys have been hearing, I'm on board with them having assembled it this way. Yeah, that's the thing. And, you know, I, I definitely get the sense that while I know you prefer the theatrical cut overall, I, I don't get the sense that you begrudge the Donner cut its existence, right? So it's it's great that it's out there and it exists. You know, if you could only pick one to watch, would it be that one? I get the sense probably not. And even for myself, as much as there is a lot that I love about it, uh, like I said, I do think the other one is certainly more cohesive and works better from start to finish. But yeah, had they just put out deleted scenes, I think one of the reasons that doesn't work is that so much of what's different about this, especially with Zod and Nan and Ursa, is the tone. I mean, you know, Lester inserted so much campy stuff. The battle for Metropolis, for example, when they're using their super breath on the people. And, you know, like they played so much of that for humor, like the guy, uh, you know, uh, making a phone call. Or like on a, guy on skate, roller skates and yeah. umbrellas. Yeah, no, that's one of the best changes to this film. The Donner cut is the Metropolis battle. Absolutely, it is because like they cut out all the just weird slapstick humor. It's just so straight, and you don't need it. Like right. you don't feel like anything's missing. Like my, my points earlier, like well, this is missing, and this feels weird. No, this feels totally natural. Like them blow, like using the super breath, but it's not like ridiculousness going on. And and even like they inter, in, insert a couple other shots of like you know Superman punching, you know non, and and then uh, blowing up the. A strange change, but sure, like blowing up the Statue of Liberty instead of a random building. Like they rotoscope Christopher Reeve hitting the Statue of Liberty instead of a building. And then, and then cutting out that woman at the Daily Planet who seems to be like cheering for the other Kryptonians. Oh, yeah. Like, what are you, so straight. The big one's almost as strong as Superman. I'm like, that's, that's, why would you do that? Um, and then, <laughs> yeah. do you know what the stakes are here? But, um, but even like minor things like that, talking about the tone of the villains, non like he growls, but it's not like this comedic, almost level animalistic growl. It's like a very like, oh, a, a human being or, you know, whatever, a homo sapien, whatever he is, could make that noise. Not like not like some cartoonish growl um, as well. And then even alternate takes, like when they come back to the Daily Planet office after, you know, Superman flies off. 
it's a totally different take and it's all much better. Like Zod, like I, I like Zod in both, but like it's a total, it's a very different vibe. He's like, why do you say this to me when you know I would kill you for it? Right. Almost it's, it's, it's very like cold and more like I'm going to kill you <laughs> like for real in the Donner version that it is in the Lester version. I like both lines, but like it, it's, it's, it's just a, like I said, it's a very interesting comparison, right? It's a very interesting experiment uh, for, for these things. And, and I definitely, oh gosh, like cutting out the, cutting out East Houston, Idaho, as much as you can is, is fantastic. Thank you for doing that uh, because I'm from Houston, Texas, right? So growing up, I'm like, oh, cool. They came to Houston because what are the odds, Anthony, <laughs> that they'd hear NASA talking to Houston? Okay, planet Houston. We will go there too, right? So they go land random somewhere in us and it's also it's east houston idaho i grew up thinking that was this movie's interpretation of where i lived i was like houston is the fourth largest city in america <laughs> you know put some respect on anything we're not some podunk town and they did they did the best they could like editing out like the bare essentials um and it still gets the point across i wish you know donner had much bigger plans about like you know where they were going to land and take over the world and obviously that could not be accomplished in the donner cut but those things cutting out the just the, the slapsticky nature of the villains and take them more you take them more seriously because they're not you know doing all these silly things and they even clean up some of the special effects right in the in the town battle like Zod like blows a flame floor back at a building like those were some weird optical effects in the 80s but you know the, the fire here looked better and things like that so yeah absolutely the villains are improved and then not to mention the climax at the end with all these made-up powers are gone mm-hmm. right there are no finger beams there's no teleporting and there's no cellophane s which you know <laughs> It's, it's, it's become legendary, right? This, the, the, it's like nipples on the bat suit for Batman, the cellophane S for Superman. Those are the same, have the same energy. So I, I'm glad they, they cleaned up all of those, uh, all of those things. Yeah. The, the thing with like the cellophane or, or any of the other additional powers or powers that we would see him have in the sub, some of the subsequent movies, like rebuilding the great wall of China with his heat vision, things like that. You know, that's, that's always bothersome. And so I'm glad that was excised and, you know, I, I would not put his ability to reverse time in that same category because I feel like it's it's a use, he's using his existing abilities, like the traditional set of powers that we know in, maybe in a way that we don't typically see, but it's not like, again, ripping off the shield from his S. So totally. Yeah. And no, I was happy to see all of that go. And and I agree the movie, the movie definitely benefits from from losing that the slapstick of it all and the thing is it's not like oh it's this somber dead serious affair there's still a lot of humor just as there was in the first movie but it doesn't it doesn't veer into that slapsticky territory that lester gravitates towards and that we would see him employ in a, in a much bigger way in superman 3 so yeah losing yeah, all you, of that you see the seeds of superman 3 and lester superman 2 absolutely yeah i mean i think the ultimately why the, the theatrical cut of superman 2 won over so many fans initially and over the years is that there was still enough of of Donner in there, enough of a blend, you know, of the two, where even when it veers into the slapsticky territory, it still doesn't go totally over the edge the way then we would see in Superman 3 with that notorious opening sequence, for example. Yeah, that is basically everything they cut out of Superman 2 can be like just distilled into that opening sequence of Superman 3. So, yeah, but I, um. Yeah, you know, a, a, perhaps a controversial question for you: the, the repowering yeah. of Clark, right? 
Marlon Brando stuff is great. I love to see them interact, right? I think, you know, in a perfect version of this movie, you have the you have the Lester version to me. You have the Lester version up to when he picks up the crystal and then he puts the crystal in and the Donna version continues. Like, I think that's the best balance there, right? Yeah. You know, him talking to him for well, forever, Kal-El, closing the circle, the son becomes the father of the father of the son. That finally explains that kind of riddle. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, how would you know this was going to happen? This too, I have anticipated. So I guess he did know it was going to happen. But very strange to have the last shot of him just Clark just being laid on the ground face down in the destroyed crystals what like strange right you think you'd be some flash of light and then we go to the next scene but like to to cut back to that is not very triumphant because it's supposed to be like a triumphant tragic thing all at once and it's just i've never understood that how, how, how did that land for you kind of the, the the climax of the repowering the the only thing that i can think of was the intention to create some doubt or tension as to whether it worked because if you leave him face down it is a little bit more of a surprise than when he shows up outside the daily planet but at the same time it's like does anyone really think this didn't work or that he was dead in the fortress or still powerless it's like no so i like i but but short of that you know what else would the reason be for it i'd be hard-pressed to say why you would leave him in that in that specific pose in the forges. I will say I really enjoyed the way uh, this played out here. I mean, you really see the regret and the shame, uh, you know, within Clark for having made this decision that he has now, um, you know, come to see the error of his ways and his father right. was right and, and all of that. Look at me, Kal-El, right? That whole thing. Yeah. Again, I wish, I, I think with either cut, one of my big regrets, I just wish this had played out more and longer where we could have seen more of the buildup to the decision to relinquish the powers. We could have spent more time with him without his powers. I know, you know, that's not what the movie was concerned about. And I appreciate that they at least gave us the internal struggle that they did. I, I you know, I'll take it, but it would have been nice to see a little bit more of that. But these scenes that we do get here do go a long way. I, I agree with you. I love that. We close the loop on the son becomes the father and the father becomes the son. I mean, literally now his energy is being used to restore Clark to Kal-El and in the process, you know, Clark will no longer be able to commune with Jor-El. So there really is this loss. I mean, a couple of things on that. One, like we've talked about in Superman, the movie, when, when Jor-El tries to stop Clark from reversing time and he's like, you know, you're forbidden to interfere with human history and Clark does and nothing happens. There are no consequences here. So I did appreciate in this instance where Jor-El tries to warn Clark about giving up his powers and Clark ignores those warnings, and now there are there is a price to pay. And I think what's really what struck me was when you look at the, in particular, the special edition of Superman the movie, which includes that scene between Superman and Jor-El after the first night after he's made his public debut, and you look at the Donner cut of of Superman two with these Jor-El scenes restored. It really ties everything together because if you just look at the theatrical cut of Superman the movie, we don't see Jor-El again after the training sequence. So you don't know necessarily if, if Superman is still continuing to have any relationship. Yeah, is that it or not? Yeah. And then of course he's not in the theatrical cut of two. So here between the special edition and the Donner cut, you see that, that Kryptonian father son relationship to its conclusion. And I really feel like it, it ties a lot together there. And as far as him, yeah, it's, it's a little, you know, it's a, a little bit much where it's like, I hoped you would never ask this question yet. I anticipated what would happen if you did. And then you changed your mind, right. but 
and maybe this is the father in me, but I, I really, it was very touching to me that Jorel had come up with this sort of fail safe, get out of jail free card for his son. Like in case you ever screw up kid, like I've, I've got yeah, a way out for smart. you. I got you covered. Yeah, no. I, and I, be, I believe it. I, I believe it tracks, you know, I mean, it's easy. He's, he's this all, it's the Smallville Jorel too, like this omnipresent, <laughs> all powerful. <laughs> you have one time crystal, right? Redo that mistake. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And that is, a you know, I know it just never occurred to me until rewatching it actually for this, which is crazy because I've watched very various versions of this movie my entire life. Like you're getting exposed to the red rays from Krypton's sun and that takes away your powers forever. Well, it's like, a lot. I, well, Zach, it's a lot of red rays. It's not just like a little bit. It's a lot. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. It's like, <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> but like, like speaking of all these other things right we got to put our mind back into you know 1980 because now like how many times do people use weapons against superman the red kryptonite or not red, red sunlight put him in a red uh sunlight prison or use red sunlight beams against him or anything like had a great episode of you know small world animated um, small world animated series getting Super ahead Man of yourself there series about the red light <laughs> right i know right <laughs> we'll get there and then small smallville itself right with the red sun so um, uh, with the season nine and all that plot, so that's a very you know common thing, and, and I find it a very creative thing to use uh, to take away his powers. Kryptonite gets old, right after a while. So that, that was a very smart way to do it. Um, and then that, and then the whole thing about him giving up his powers is what allows the whole switcheroo at the end, right? Which which you know, which I think is an incredible payoff to you know him coming out kneeling down crushing his hand again I, I try to put my mind back in like 1980 like that's a whoa right if you're in the theater moment right mm-hmm. um of him crushing his hand and throwing him to his death uh yes. which is why i never had a problem with with you know man of steel is not my preferred interpretation of superman but i i it, i don't i don't not like it for all the reasons people say they don't like it like it's like he killed zod jonathan said he maybe should let those people die i'm like i've seen all this stuff before right it's, it's not news to me <laughs> John the Kid on Smallville would have totally said that to Clark, right? Anyway, that, that's not the movie we're talking about. But I say this to say, I, I, it is a fun kind of comparison to say, like, I can't believe Superman killed Zod and Man of Steel. I'm like, well, there was a lot more emotional weight to that than him just, like, killing Zod and just <laughs> giving a smile and a nod to Lex. And then, and of course, intend, they intended him not to kill them. They were supposed to be carted away by the Arctic police and stuff. But, you know, anyway, all that to say, Superman has killed Zod before, in a movie just saying so. yeah no listen i'm hey i'm glad you said it otherwise i would have but and they, people have heard it from me enough so no i agree and also it's like yes we know from the deleted scene they get they get carted off but we don't that's not in the movie and it's not in either cut of the movie so i you can use it in your head canon but i would not count that as the official can, official canon of the movie and when they fall into the 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 caverns of the fortress unless he's using his you know super hearing to check if they're breathing it's like it really seems like they've died and he has no reaction to that other than he's very pleased with himself. Yeah. And again, well, people and don't what, bat an eye. This is what you did with villains. No, this is what you did with villains in big action movies, right? 70s, 80s. I mean, that's why we killed all the Batman villains, right? In the 80s and 90s even. That's what you did. And it was just like an understood thing and it made sense. Um, but in the Donner cut, he reverses time and they go back into the, the Phantom Zone. Maybe that's why which, he wasn't so concerned about them because he was like, well, I'm just going to undo all of this anyway. Which, which, oh man, oh my goodness. Look, look. Does Jorel come back? Does the fortress come back when he reverses time? Well, yes. I mean, that's the thing. That's why this ending <laughs> undermines all of the proceedings, right? Because you get, I mean, it's a very 
Like I said, closing this loop of the son becoming the father, father becomes the son, everything really comes to, uh, this is really the, the end of a major chapter in Superman's life, and he, he destroys the fortress. Its location has been compromised. Jor-El is no longer available to him. So he destroys it. And then like, yes, it, theoretically, that all gets undone with, with the reversal of time. So again, another instance of how that doesn't work. Because it's the worst thing that breaks the movie for me, like I said, but like, I, I, I could, I, you know, I could see it as Jor-El exists beyond time and space. So even Superman resetting time would not restore the fortress. Cause why would he go to the trouble of destroying the fortress? But listen, this movie in this form is not concerned with those kind of questions. <laughs> well, so, anyway. that's a, I, I, you're, you're the, the theory you raise is an interesting one. I could get on board with that, but it's like, what, why does he do anything? Once he, the second he gets his powers back, he should just go reverse time. Why does he even bother right. with fighting them? <laughs> that's the go-to move. <laughs> So <laughs> there yeah. is a very interesting fan edit of this. I've seen many fan edits of this. I actually have a, I have a good friend of mine that made a fan edit that combined both versions. And uh, I'll send that to you if you want, but uh, it's, it's, it's the ultimate version of this movie. Um, but there's, and he actually has Joel and Laura in it as oh. well. So both, both of them. So anyway, it's very interesting. So I'll send it to you. Um, but don't ask me everybody. I can't be sending it to everybody, but <laughs> there's another version I've saw years ago. that somebody made what you said made me think of this where like they make a, like a three and a half hour long cut. And what they do is like they have the Metropolis battle and he flies off and he reverses earth. And then they like play out the movie again with the other <laughs> alternate scenes. <laughs> that was a very interesting, like it's kind of a, you laugh, but it's kind of a fun experiment because that's exactly what, like, why not? <laughs> that's <laughs> actually kind of brilliant. That's right? really kind of brilliant. I know. And I haven't seen it, but I know or I suspect there's some combined cut of one and two out there. Oh, I'm sure there's edits of every variation these days, you right? Because that, that would be interesting to see. And it's, and it's it's funny, like we talked about the lengthy recap sequence that we get at the beginning of this. And I, I agree with you that it, it inelegant is a great word because it's it doesn't it doesn't have the flow of a true recap montage. It just really shows you, and not entire scenes in a lot of instances, they do cut them down somewhat, but there's a lot of scenes and it, it, it jumps around. It, it's um, a little awkward. Uh, I, and I it's think so it's, long. And it, it goes on like, for quite some time. I understand, like previously on Smallville, like you have 30 seconds and you're going to see weird things out of context and kind of get you up to speed. And I'm like, this, it's almost 10 minutes long. Right. And it's like, but why we wax push into a thing? And it's, it's very, who's this woman? And like, if you didn't know anything, this wouldn't help you. I don't think like, you know, the, the recap on Superman two was <laughs> extremely helpful to like, yeah, if you didn't see the first one, these people are Kryptonian villains, the planet blew up and they, they, and they've landed, you know, they went, made their way towards earth and it's very efficient. They, they even show the, the way that they, they sync the, 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 the uh, recap footage, right. From Superman, the movie in with the, the credits is so good and yes. inspires Spider-Man two with the Alex Ross paintings as well. Another Spider-Man two reference here. Um, just strange, strange. So anyway, yeah, I mean, and this is another instance where maybe maybe they could have allowed themselves a little bit more freedom here, where it's like, okay, we're not making, we're not, we're, we're assembling this Donner cut now in the 2000s when people, fans have been watching these movies for years and they have them available on home video and not streaming, I guess, at that point, but digitally. So it's not like it was before and people need that recap. I mean, I feel like they could have gotten away with just showing that rocket go off show superman divert the rocket 
show it, free the, the Phantom Zone criminals, go to our opening credits, or do something like you said, like we saw in Superman 2, the theatrical cut, where you weave the flashbacks into the credits. I think either of those would have been a better option than what we got here. Well, you mentioned uh, some kind of combined edit, and uh, Alias Salkine, I read an interview maybe with Superman cinema back in the day, but like in the, apparently in the nineties, like he had been wanting to release some kind of combined official version of these. And W was like, no, we, we've moved past those. We're doing other things. Because Superman Liz is coming out, right? <laughs> like, Oh, just let's fast forward 10 years in the future and see where we are. Right. But, um, <laughs> and, and this is the most interesting thing that I've like kind of unlocked everything to me. You could really fit these things together. You use Superman flying backwards time waves come off earth and break the phantom zone. And that is your consequence of the time travel. Cause even like, even when the nuclear uh, bomb blows up in Superman two, the theatrical version, like you look kind of like time waves, right? It wouldn't really take that much editing. I'm sure a fan could do someone go do this, right? Um, make a combined version. And that's kind of your consequence of what you did. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I, I thought, cause I think perhaps maybe even better than like a combined version of, you know, both versions of two, maybe some just epic, a four-hour epic, if you will. DC Comics does that now with movies, but like seriously, like combine one and two, right? And and uh, have this as you know, kind of the because then you don't have the like, man, there's no Jimmy or Perry in this or <laughs> Lois and Clark's relationship. There's not much there, but it's kind of if it just continues on from the first movie, that might be a better flow. But anyway, this these you know, yeah, these are all things. All all things are possible with these movies. <laughs> it's just fun to discuss because we live with them our whole lives, and we kind of think of these interesting new ways they can fit together. But I, I think those are all fascinating ideas. I like the time wave idea, and I think that solves the problem that a lot of us have had with Superman the movie. This whole warning about interfering with human history, and then we see that there's no consequences. That would be a, a you know a worthwhile consequence that he then has to deal with. I'll, I'll, the other thing that really kind of struck me as I was rewatching the Donner cut in particular, you know, we, the first movie you see the, the forming of the relationship with Lois. He you know, wants to, has this moment where he wants to reveal his secret. He doesn't. Of course, now we see that carry through in this movie where she learns his identity. They embark on a relationship. He makes this choice that then he regrets. Um, you know, in the end, let's put the time reversal aside. He has come to terms with the fact that he, and we, it's the conceit of the movie that we, you know, it, it, it is what it is, right? He can't have it both ways, right? And so he's made his choice. And that door, sadly, it's very sad, but that door is closed to him, that romance, because he has a higher purpose, a higher calling, a higher happiness, as Jorel would put it. He no longer has Jorel. The Kryptonian part of him is is gone. The fortress is 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 no more. I really feel like it's a fitting end to the Donnerverse, or at least the, you know, I know Superman Returns opens that door, but it's a fitting end to those two movies. And yeah, it would have been, and you know, it's, this is really what I'm wrestling with. Cause it's like, yeah, it would have been cool to see Donner do Superman three. It would have been cool to see Brainiac, which is what he, you know, he talked about wanting to use Brainiac. Of course it would have been cool. And of course you can always tell new adventures with the character, but I think really thematically looking at these two together, they really do tell a complete story and you get to the end of it and it's like, I don't know, what what would you want to see in the next movie? I'm flirting with Lois again? It's like, we know that's not going anywhere. Um, and we've dealt with the Kryptonian business of the criminals who were set up in the first movie. I mean, I think it it really works as, I mean, I want to know what you think, but for me, I feel it works very well as as an end to, to at least to those two movies. 
Well, you obviously have the Marlon Brando connection, but I kind of think about Godfather and Godfather Part Two, right? Like, did you did you need a Godfather Part Three? Feels kind of disconnected. We kind of said everything we needed to say about these characters in the first two, and yeah, interestingly enough, Marlon Brando does not appear in <laughs> Godfather Part Two, <laughs> and much like Superman Two. But yeah, it's it's um it's a dilemma that the uh, the comics kind of have. I'm not sure when those take place. The Superman seventy eight comics, which I love, by the way. Uh, but I'm like, when are these after two or between one and two or which version? And anyway. so we so we talked about this in the last episode, which you've not heard yet, based on when mm-hmm. we're recording. But our best guess they they purposely keep it a bit ambiguous, so I don't think you can right. really pin it down definitively. But our best guess is that it takes place between the first two movies, yeah. and that one week period. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, but I'm, I'm fine with that, right? Superman in, in vague sequels. That's the name of the game with this character in these versions and this, this version of the character, the Donnerverse, especially, but yeah, it's, um, I mean, Superman three, you know, they brought in Lana Lang, but you know, so that was, I love an tools. Lana Lang. I think it's fantastic, but it was a very kind of, you know, different kind of whole approach, obviously than this. So it, it'd be strange to just have another adventure at the daily planet business as usual, you know, kind of thing with because we've kind of said what we needed to say with these characters. So maybe it would have been best to kind of just this is this right here, volume one and volume two of Richard Donner Superman, right? And here they are, and and, and we'll move on from it. Um, and yeah, I mean, when you when you see when you see movie franchises and stories you love, kind of like kind of go off the rails, you're often like, man, I just I wish they just would have stopped. But then you're like, but I but I want more of the stuff I love. So it's it's struggle. It's a struggle. It's a like Smallville. Ten years. I'm glad there's 10 years would have been a better show if there were less and was more condensed. We have an old episode about that. You guys can go check out. Um, People really like that, that episode, strange. by the way, I got a lot oh. of really good feedback on that. So I thank you. Oh, there you go. Well, we're going to have to come back and do like uh, what we love about small episode. Cause we were very hard on small <laughs> that episode, but no, I'm, I'm glad to hear Cause that, that was a very fun talk to have, but yeah, I um, It's, it's that what if game, right. With all this favorite stuff. Like, of course, like, yeah, you tell me you get another Richard Donner directed, Superman movie starring Christopher Reeve, I am there. But then I'm like, what do they do? I don't know. But then sometimes you see movie series, you think, you, you look at movies like the Rocky franchise, right? It's like, well, they're done. What could they possibly do? And they come out with like Rocky Balboa and Creed. I'm like, these are fantastic movies. You had no, these movies have no right to be this good. You found a way, you unlock what to do to continue the story. So you're speaking my language, man. You know, I love Rocky. <laughs> but yeah, well, and that's the thing. And, you know, in, all right, in fairness, I'm going to just for a second, I'm going to walk back what I said a little bit because. I could see a version where we got a Superman 3 directed by Donner that included Brainiac. And so now you're perhaps reintroducing another aspect of, of the Kryptonian heritage, depending on which interpretation of Brainiac they, they would be going with, or at least alien culture, right? So what now has been closed off to him with the fortress gone, now that's being opened up in a little bit of a different way. And look, who knows how it would have progressed with Lois. I mean, again, in this in my head canon, I'm... I'm omitting the time reversal at the end of the movie. I'm assuming we end the movie uh, with, you know, with uh, her knowing his secret. But even if she didn't know his secret, like Superman knows he can't have this relationship, right? But maybe, maybe that changes. Maybe something changes and his perspective shifts and he finds a way where he can have this balance. I mean, you know, there are always ways that they could go. But and in terms of what we got here, I really do think it is a, a fitting conclusion. And that that was maybe my biggest new takeaway from rewatching the Donner cut was this idea that I, I think it really closes a lot of loops. Look, plot wise, 
We have the action from the first movie, the rocket freeing these criminals who were, of course, introduced in the first movie, seeking revenge on his father. I mean, it really, it all ties together in a nice way. You think about Zod, though, and it's like how much you have to hate someone to want to enact revenge on their on their offspring. I mean, that's pretty, it's, it's, it's pretty intense. And one day your ass, <laughs> your ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, there, there, man, if there are any way, if there's anything to expand in, the, in this mythology, right. If, like, more comic books or stories, I would love more of a Krypton backstory between Jarrell and Zod. She's like, you've been known to disagree with the council before, right? Like, you know, you, you, you could be second only to me in the new order. Like they could have been cool. Right. And they, they play into that in other Smallville, right? They play into other versions where like Jarrell and Zod are like friends or at least allies and like could have seen a separate way and, and even Man of Steel, right? Like, like they were like, hey man, like I'm going to honor the man you were and that kind of thing. So there's always this connection between these, 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 those, those characters, uh, which is maybe even more interesting than perhaps Superman and, and Zod, Jarrell and Zod, right? Yeah, totally. The one, one minor thing though that did make me laugh at this struck me as I was watching was when the villains are going through their rampage in the small town and Ursa laughs at the fact that the humans need, need machines to fly. And I'm saying to myself, hey lady, you've had powers for like two minutes. You know, you come from a planet where people don't have powers. Why is this so? <laughs> like they go, they get drunk on their power very quickly. I guess that's part of the point, mm-hmm. but it just made me laugh. It's like, you, this shouldn't be so, so amusing to you. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're a good trio. They complement each other well. Right, because Zod is like the kind of tactician, like evil force mastermind, and, and Ursa is like his his loyal lieutenant who's like seditious, and then Nod is like this mindless but very destructive force, right? And they, they, and it's you know these two Donner Superman movies, so you have these trio of villains, right? <laughs> it's it's kind of the template. Um, so if they had a Superman three with Brainiac, I guess he'd have two sidekicks and <laughs> or something like that. Who knows? But it, it's an interesting comparison to draw, right? Uh, but, but between the two, and. Uh, yeah, I wish I wish Sarah Douglas and Jack O'Halloran would have shown up on Smallville. I mean, everybody else did. So that, that would have been cool. One, it, you know, if there's anything else that you want to talk about that we didn't get to, we can certainly circle back. But one, the last maybe big question tying it back to Smallville that I wanted to ask you is, you know, in the in the final moments of the series, you know, we had gotten pieces of the John Williams score at various key moments throughout Smallville, but it was in the final moments of the series finale that we got the full blown Superman theme. And I guess my main question is, is that, did you enjoy that? Were you happy that that was the, the, the payoff? And because it so calls to mind the Donner movies, did you like that we were building towards that version of Clark becoming Superman? Or did you feel that the show should have carved more of its own path? Yeah, let, let me bounce off that with another thought about the music, actually. You mentioned the series finale. I, I loved that they built to that. Uh, I, 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 you know, there, there are other great Superman themes, but I, I almost always come back to like, they should use the John Williams theme the same way they use the John Barry theme for James Bond. It's like, that's the Superman theme. Hans Zimmer's theme is great for Man of Steel. They, they, they don't play it very much in the sequels though, do they? I don't know why. Um, but it, that being said, like building towards that, I was a hundred percent for that on, on Smallville. Although I liked the, I liked the music better in season two when it was reorchestrated by Mark Snow to be like, here's the themes we use on the show. And now it's this music instead of like putting the CD in for John Williams and pressing play, right? Which is what they did in the series finale. I had always hoped they would transition the music from the blur theme to the, you know, the Superman theme. Smallville fans know what I'm talking about, but in the Donner cut, actually, I wanted to mention this, like, 
they use all John Williams music from Superman, the movie, which is a fantastic score. One of the greatest scores of all time. And um, in a vacuum, it's unquestionably superior to Ken Thorne's Superman two score, right? Uh, more, just more scope, more recordings. I don't know. It just sounds better. Okay. It just sounds better, but there is a, there is a, a thing in the, the Donner cut where they repeat a lot of the same. Da, 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 da. You hear that theme like 10 times in the movie because they, they're putting music from another movie onto this movie. And sometimes it works. The Superman theme triumphantly like totally works, but like John Williams never wrote a, a true, like phantom zone theme for the villains. Had he come back for two, I'm sure he would have expanded on the work he did on Superman, the movie, but like these like clicks and hums and tones, like you can only go so far with that. Right. To the point where in Superman three, Ken Thorne is still using those themes for evil Superman. I'm like, can you expand? <laughs> no, I know Ken Thorne was, you know, you're sure mandated like, Hey, make it sound like that. And you need to find a job. But I, I guess my point with all that is like, you think you hear, you hear like, Hey, they're just going to use John Wayne's music for the Richard Donner. I'm like, Oh, it's fantastic. And then you see it and you're like, you know what? A lot of the Ken Thorne stuff kind of fit what we were seeing more than the, the, uh, than the John Williams stuff and the, and the Richard Donner cut. So yeah, I love hearing the, I love hearing like the John Williams version of these, but it's like, again, the ultimate version of this is somewhere in between having to be like, no, I don't want any of that Ken Thorne stuff because that was with the Richard Lester version. I only want the John Williams stuff you wrote for my movie. Like that's where Donner's coming from. I have no doubt. And I understand it, but I think to the, not, it's not like a deal breaker or anything, but it is noticeable how repetitive some of the themes are to me anyway, in this version of the movie. So no, I appreciate the observation. I'll, I'll be honest. A lot of that I was, I was, ignorant of like it didn't it didn't uh it register with me as i was watching it but next next my next viewing whenever that is i'll, I'll definitely take a shot every time you hear dun 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 dun, 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 dun you will you will pass out you won't finish the movie <laughs> i guarantee you um but to your point about uh smallville i absolutely wish it would now musically yes use the john williams music narratively forge your own path there's no reason to turn tom welling into christopher reeve in the last 10 episodes of the show which you decided to do uh, we talked a little about a little bit about that in our small episode, but it was like, oh, hey, I'm bumbling. I love the the Clark thing of Chris Reed, but that was his Clark. Like, you, Tom Welling has not been that guy. You can't, you can't, you start, you worked at the Daily Planet for three years without glasses, bro. <laughs> you can't go back, you know. So, um, yeah. So, so character character wise, don't dovetail into the the Reeve movies, but aesthetically, you know, I like the octagonal disc and the star blades and things from the early seasons. But it's not like it didn't like really upset me that they embraced the fortress and the crystals and the ice because that's I don't think we're ever going to get away from that with the Superman and stuff. Man of Steel was kind of a shot in the arm, and I respected that a lot for reinventing Krypton from you know scratch as far as live action goes. But um, the uh, the actual like you know aesthetics and stuff fine, but not but not the character, you know. So 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 if that, if that answers your question about you know small villain <laughs> Superman Donnerverse merging into one. Yeah, it does. No, for sure. And I, I think that's, you know, for myself, largely, I, I agree with that. I This has been a theme on these episodes, and I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I, I, I love Donner's vision, and I've come to love it even more. I particularly love it in the context of his movies, and taking something like Superman 78, a comic meant to be part of that universe, I am more on board with that than when we have attempts to try to replicate that in a different medium, a different story, because I think that it's, I don't know if a fool's errand to some extent to, to try to, to try to capture that when I feel like a lot of the stuff that I've enjoyed so much, I've enjoyed because of the ways that it is different. Like to your point, 
I, that Krypton sequence on Man of Steel is fantastic, and it's a completely different visual aesthetic than we've we've had before. And you know, I appreciated that it went in a different direction. So, and on a similar note with Smallville, I you know, there's there's a, a wonderful, beautiful piece of music that plays during Clark's the trials sequence in the series finale when Jor-El is showing him all of his saves, and and I love that music, and it felt like the show. And I guess maybe I would have liked during that final shirt rip at the end, if we had gotten another original piece that was unique to Smallville that represented that show more specifically, I get the pull, like I get the attraction and it's certain, you know, that music is so iconic, so distinct, and it so calls to mind what so many people think of with the character. So I understand, I guess I just, uh, I, I, I think there's more value in trying to chart something new, not reinvent the wheel, but kind of put your own spin on it. But you know, uh, again, I like I said, I certainly understand why people <laughs> always go back to that. Is there anything well, else? We, we will forever live in the shadow of these movies, right? I mean, even during Smallville's run, they made Superman Returns, yeah. which is like the ultimate, like living in the shadow of these movies. Um, and then Man of Steel breaks away from it. And, you know, people are some people are hesitant to it and some people aren't. And I mean, I Chris Reeve is my favorite live action Superman. I think he'll be the once and forever Superman. I was thinking about this the other day. Maybe this is too a strange comparison, but it's like, you know what? I think my grandfather was the greatest man who ever lived. Like, but I will never be my grandfather. I can just be myself, right? So, like, Kyler Hecklin cannot be Christopher Reeve, but he can just be Tyler Hecklin, right? So maybe that's a strange comparison, but that's kind of I came to that conclusion the other day, sitting here in my office with my Superman four poster behind me, watching Superman and Lois on the TV. It's like, you know what? There's room for both these versions. So as much as I, as much as I love the Christopher Reeve version, and to me, like that'll just always be, and it's okay for it to always be my favorite. Um, but it's like to, to just don't like, don't, let me say this, don't not like other versions because they're not this, you know, like or dislike them based off their own merits. Right. And they, they, it's got to be their own thing and he can be great in his own right, but he's just not going to be Christopher Reeve and that's fine. For example, anyway, Henry Cavill, go down the list of whoever plays Superman now or moving forward. But to, to me, that I mean, seeing this as a kid, this left an indelible impression on me forever. Um, and I think that's a huge thing to do with it too. Nostalgia is a very powerful thing. So, and if, um, you know, if Chris Reeve was still around, I'm sure the DC would be trying to find a way to work him to the flash movie, right? It's Superman in some capacity. Right. So that, that's the legacy of, of, of this Donnerverse, right? I mean, the Superman 78 comic book, you guys talked about it, but it's, 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 it's the Donnerverse version, right? It's, 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 and it's not just like the Christopher Reeve version It's the Donnerverse version It's between like one and two, they don't pick up after nuclear man, right? They, they take a, they take a right in the middle of, of those movies. So, there's just you know there's a reason this has a cultural impact and uh and uh, rightly so and, and and for all its faults right superman 2 it's like you know i i still i still love it right like i like i've said I, i've learned to stop worrying and love superman 2 again and 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 i feel better about it so i'm just as, as nitpicky as i you probably guys think i hate this movie but all my nitpicks <laughs> i usually feel this way when i when i last couple times ago on your podcast talking about these things but uh Again, this all comes from a place of love. I was, if I didn't obsessively love these movies, I would not have these strong <laughs> opinions about them. So, well said. And you know, for anyone who listened to our Superman two episode last year and and uh, you know felt like, oh man, like I don't love it. I, you know, again, for as as much as we did pick apart here, maybe maybe this one lined up more with your love for the movie. Maybe not. I don't know. But I hope you enjoyed it either way. Zach, I thank you so much for taking the time to be part of this event here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, is any anytime, uh, any place, I'm down to talk some Superman with you, man. Right on. Well, everyone, make sure that you check out the Always Hold On to Smallville podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. 
especially if you are a Smallville fan. Uh, if you've not listened, you really need to. And even if you're not a Smallville fan, I mean, you've been covering Superman and Lois as well. So if you've been, you know, fans have been uh, watching that show, you can listen to uh, to always hold on to Superman and Lois on the same feed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and, and again, like being inundated through, I think that's I've, I've just kind of that same thing I was talking about earlier. Like I'm, I do a podcast about Smallville, all these Superman, Chris Reeve movies. I'm watching Superman and Lois. Like it, it's so great to have so many different versions of this character. Right. And so people are going to respond to some and I respond to others. And there's plenty of room for all these interpretations. So I, I feel like right, right now, because Superman is very, you know, people have really strong opinions about him. You know, I don't, I don't know if you noticed, I don't know if you've been on the internet, but it's like, you know, it's, it, it's, it's okay to like, like certain versions and not like other versions. And, and uh, I just, I'm very thankful that there are plenty enough to, to, to experience and Lois and Clark, you know, like whatever, right. Whatever, what, for whatever mood you're in, there's a Superman for you. And I, I don't, I think I still think Batman's a more malleable character, but but I'm, I'm I so much enjoy exploring these other versions of the character, and I think it just reinforces my fandom of Superman being able to to experience him in all these different formats. So I hear you, man, and that's definitely been my experience doing this, and it's it's been a, a beautiful journey to have as a Superman fan. So again, folks, make sure you check out the Always Hold On to Smallville podcast. Make sure you come back here in one week. I will be joined by Tyler from the Krypton Report podcast. And we are going to talk about the 1984 Supergirl movie. So get ready for that. We'll be back next week. Until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. One action I hope you will take is to consider joining my Patreon community. My new spinoff podcast, Digging for Justice, a DC movie fan journey, is coming soon exclusively on my Patreon, starting at the $1 level. Many more rewards are available too, including a robust catalog of bonus podcasts, Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show.